Hey everybody, this month's episode of the Rotto Talk Show podcast is brought to you by the Paradox Initiative. And before we get to the show, let's talk about this game a little bit. And I'm joined by Jen. Hi, honey pie. So here's the thing, folks. Um, Jen, every month, does a special show called the Jen Jogs, where it's only for Patreon backers. She uh, thinks about all the games she played over the preceding month. And um, when we were waxing rhapsodic about Paradox Initiative, <laughs> you were taught... I was really surprised how much you liked this game. I didn't quite realize that the time. It was your number two game of the month, beaten only by Ark Nova. Yep. So I figured I'd bring you on and say, what was it about this game, um, which is on Kickstarter for another week or so, folks, uh, that really caught your attention? Well, first of all, I think it's very pretty. Mm-hmm. I like purples and blues. And so <laughs> obviously I'm instantly attracted to this. I think and the art is really, really nice. Too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that's all aesthetic. I think the thing I really liked about this game was the Matrix uh, idea where you're Got the particles that you're trying yeah. to get into a line or a row um, so that you can achieve your goals. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that puzzly aspect of it. And um, I also liked that there were the special powers. What were those called? Yeah, the uh, the technologies. The technologies, that, right. That's one of your actions you can do. Rather than saying, oh, I'm going to draft another card that I have to work on, like as a recipe I have to fulfill, you could say, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to get some powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they can do really powerful things. Yeah, and I, I did focus on that quite a lot, so I had lots of different options. Yeah, lots of flexibility, yeah. Which I liked a lot. Um, so I think those were probably my two favorite things, but I did also like how the timeline mm-hmm. allows you to make decisions about what kinds of projects you want to take yeah. on. Uh, based on what you've already got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought no. that was really nice. It was, you really didn't have to take on another project because you could take a technology or you could... What was the, what were these little guys? The, the um, or what are they called? The switches. The that, switches, um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we are not really stuck. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's funny, actually, when you said you really like the uh, grid. As I was setting up to record this today uh, and putting this video on screen, Jen, and, and she was just reminding herself because we haven't played it for a month, you just started actually trying to puzzle out the best <laughs> way for me to actually do my grid. You're like, well, you should put that over there and this over there. I'm like, I don't know if I did that while I was filming. I hope I was smart enough to to do that and show folks. Um, so yeah, that, that was hilarious to me that it instantly just drew you in yep. again, even though you're not I'm actually trying playing. to fix this. Yeah, yes. you, you've got to fix mine for me. <laughs> so okay, cool. Well, uh, thanks, Honey Pie. Uh, of course, Jen will be back later in the podcast when we get to her gaming-related stuff. But uh, we'll see you right. in a bit. Okay, bye. Okay, folks. That's Paradox Initiative, and it's on Kickstarter Live for another week up until Friday, April 29th. So you've got a little bit of time left to go check it out, uh, and you can watch a bunch of people who played it. I mean, Rel Gaviola, my co-host on the uh, R&R show, he did a uh, live playthrough with the Brothers Murph, and everybody agreed. It is just a blast to play, and it is gorgeous to look at. And it's interesting, the one real complaint I had about it when I did my final thoughts, I was kind of... Kind of talking some about stuff about the theme. The publishers just did an update yesterday addressing that as well in a very, very cool way. So, uh, like I said, check it out. There's a link for it down in the show notes if you want to go check out the Kickstarter page, or you can follow that eye up in the top right corner of the screen if you're on YouTube. And with that out of the way, folks, it is time for another monthly episode of the show. And like always, first I'm going to be doing a lot of game-related questions. Then Jen will be back, and we'll talk about a few more gaming things, and then we'll end it all with a whole bunch of personal uh, Q&A stuff. And actually, what we'll really end it all with is a bunch of really cool pictures of dogs. Just another episode here, and um, we got a lot to cover, so let's get going right after 
after this. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Okay, everybody, it is questions time. And again, questions to questions at raw.com. I'll keep answering them as long as this show keeps going. So let's start out with Alexa, who says that her boyfriend is incredibly curious. Alexa, stop. I could see in the corner of my eye, Alex, I shall call my personal digital assistant, lit up and was going to start saying something. Uh, boy. Uh, all right, anyway. Um, Alex... A asks, my boyfriend is incredibly curious as to why I don't have Everdell rated on BoardGameGeek. Question is, how would we rate it? Um, you know, I did have it rated for a long time, and I think I think it's in, um, you know, uh, somewhere between an 8 and an 8.5. I don't remember exactly where. The reason it's not rated currently is because it's no longer in my collection. I ended up um, sending it down to Vegas to become part of the Dice Tower West Convention Library. And why did I do that? I mean, I think the game is great. Both Jen and I really like it quite a bit. Love the art. Uh, love the, of course, the Rotto runs through, um, you know, unique promo cards that people can get uh, by buying stuff on my wife's Etsy shop. Uh, if you'd like to know more, just ping me anywhere if you if you want to if you want to get a cool Rado runs through uh, Everdell promo. But why didn't we keep it? I mean, it's not because of the game at all. It's because I noticed all of this really awesome content coming for it. I mean, hasn't it had like three or four expansions plus a whole bunch of extra stuff? And I don't have any of it. And I'll be honest. Um, well, the thing is, when I get a big collection of games to send down to Vegas to become part of the Dice Tower West Library, they, I do them in these gigantic Federal Express, FedEx, um, what do you call them, freight boxes. They're huge. They must be, I don't know, probably four or maybe five feet by five feet by four feet tall, maybe three feet, five by five by three, something like that. Um, you know, maybe a meter and a half by a meter and a half by a meter. That's gigantic. That holds hundreds of games. And so what'll happen is, hey, here's all the games that I've covered for the channel. Here's some prototypes that I don't need that I didn't send to other reviewers. Okay, I'll put all that in. And then the box is like two thirds full. And like, Okay, I gotta fill this box up. And then I start coming back in here and I start making hard choices. Because the reality is, I'm surrounded by 400 some games, and you know, there's gonna be games coming out this year that I want to keep more than some of these. So I have to start making tough choices just to fill this FedEx box. And the reason, and in fact, actually, I've done a full breakdown of, of why every single game is gone. I did it in a ramble earlier this year. Either in January or February, my monthly ramble is, hey, let me run through every game I got rid of from my collection over the previous year, and I'll tell you why I got rid of it. It's one of the many things you can get if you subscribe at patreon.com slash rotto. But anyway, as I recall, uh, if you watch that ramble, you'll see I talked about Everdell. It was just, it was generating so much FOMO in me. You know, fear of missing out. And that's not a healthy attitude at all. And, uh, 
I, you know, I suppose I could have reached out to the publisher and said, hey, if you send me some of these uh, expansions, I'll cover them for the channel, and they probably would. But, I mean, I've already covered Everdell. I already did cover a couple of the expansions when they were on Kickstarter, and there's so much else. I mean, I, I'm to the point where I very, very rarely reach out to publishers to ask for games to cover, because I've got such a huge backlog at any given time. At any given time, if you go to pubcent.rado.com, you'll see all the games that are already in my queue. Bringing more games in just so I can fulfill FOMO, which again, is not the healthy of attitudes, just didn't really make sense. And I, But I wanted all that Everdell stuff so bad. And so I thought, well, okay, this is giving me a reason to spread the wealth. It was a deluxe edition, you know, with the d- jacket cover and all that. And I thought, hey, somebody will really enjoy playing that at Dice Tower West. I won't have the FOMO building up in me anymore, so that's why I didn't make it. But when I had it, it was somewhere between 8 and 8.5. And I just don't rate games that I don't keep anymore. And instead, also, you could probably just go to gone.rado.com, and I might have written that explanation there, too, why I got rid of it. Okay, and moving on. Ali, Ali asks, or says, rather, that uh, they've been listening to my podcast for around two years. I'm always happy to hear when I support games with story campaigns like those from Alexander Pfister, as Ali enjoys those as well. But they've given Ali a reason to and they've given Ali a reason to keep playing. One of the things Ali wanted to do to was make his own story campaigns for games and play them with his wife more. And normally provides these free later on Board Game Geek, and you can check them out at and he's got a Bitly link here. All right, I hope you get a chance to check these out. And I'll be happy to get some constructive feedback from you. Well, let's take a look, shall we? Alrighty, uh, I will control-click that link. That should have opened up in the browser. Let's uh, bring up the browser view. And let's see, this is Karar's Story Mode Campaigns for Board Games. Alrighty, and it looks like he's done 22. So he has made a story mode for Zombie Side for Clank Legacy... Oh, so you can you can get another story out of your Clank Legacy. That's very cool. Andor, I love Andor, one of my favorites. Pandemic, I love. Okay, let's take a look at this. This story mode is a scenario that adds episodic story with each scenario slightly tweaking the rules. Yeah, this is it. This is what Alexander Fisher does, and I don't understand why every publisher doesn't do that. If Ali can do it, um, you know, and Alexander Fisher can do it, you can do it too. Let's take a look at this one. Alrighty. Oh, that's just a picture. That is a very cool picture. All right, but how do I get to it? All right. Oh, I, this is probably I follow this link. Yes. Okay. So then that takes me to the pandemic file section, and it's uh, in version 1.6. Let's open that up. Really nice presentation, Ali. All righty. And um, so 16 episodes this story plays through, where you've given names to the viruses. Um, oh, you've changed the rules for the core characters. You have, you, you have an FAQ. You have a change log. Jeez, Louise, you are serious about this. That is really awesome. And then we get to the chapters. Chapter 1, um, it starts with an outbreak. Chapter 2, behind bars. Chapter 3, mutating. Chapter 4, no safe place. And so what's, what happens to chapter 4? Karachi Research Station is exploded. They si- place it sideways on Karachi. No new research can be built in Karachi. Players start at Karachi. So this is all very cool. This is what publishers could do. I'm already, I'm engaging this. I want to play a version of Pandemic where these special rules are... In, all right, Jackson has actually moved to research. All of the actions are the same. No, oh, me- the medic is offline. Probably maybe they were... Maybe they're incapacitated for some reason. All right, whenever for step two, in fact, if he happens in a city, then explode one of your research stations that matches the color. Wow. Research cannot be done. It destroyed research. So our research stations are... And there's actually a picture. Wow. This is very, very impressive. My feedback is, wow, this is really cool. And from just looking at this little bit I've seen, I think you have really 
have gotten the idea of how to do this. Just create a story that we can play through. Hey, if I'm going to play Pandemic 16 times, I could just play it with a random setup every time, or I could play through this and actually have a story and see the world and the game change. That's really neat. I wish I had time to play it, Ollie, but I don't, because I've got, as I just said, 50 or 60 games out there I've got to cover. But when I eventually retire, you know what? You know what? Actually, hold on a second. That is so cool. Um, let me come back here. I'm going to bookmark this geek list. All righty. Um, right, where do I do this? Um, all right, coming over here. And do I have any spaces on this one? Yes. There we go. My second page of bookmarks. I am um, Ali's narrative campaigns. Someday, Ali, someday I will have the bandwidth to come back and start playing some of these. If the industry hasn't caught on to just how smart and how relatively easy it is to do this, well, then you've got my back and I love it. I am very excited to explore that stuff more. Thanks for sharing. Okay. Um, and I guess if anybody else wants to check it out, uh, I'll put the, uh, the link down in the show notes for this podcast and everything people will check it out as well. That seems really neat. Okay, moving on. From Andrew, would I ever consider playing a game uh, uh, turn-based via video text with someone? Rodney from Watch It Play talk about how much he was liking it, and if yes or no, what game would I think would work well? Okay. Now, also, um, also, Andrew likes that I almost raided Team Covenant the other day. They're great guys with great board... Yeah, oh yeah, the Team Covenant guys. I, I, I'm, I'm a big, big fan. I've totally subscribed to them on YouTube. I'm always checking out their stuff. So yeah, I'm another Team Covenant head. But anyway, um, I have actually done this. Um, many, many years ago, when I was seeking funding... It was either the first or the second Kickstarter campaign I launched to to uh, fund Rotto Runs Through as a channel. I did have a certain backer level reward that hey, you can play a live you know a, a game with me and Jen, and I did it a couple of times and it was nice. But in the back of my mind, I was always like, but I've got all these other games I've got to play. And um, so I ultimately, I think I fulfilled all the requirements I needed. There might still be a few people out there who owe it. I owe it to, actually, now I think about it. But ultimately, in a future year, I took that off. And then when I switched over to Patreon, I didn't bring it back. It's nice enough to ask, to answer your question of what would work really well. You know, Ruel, uh, in the week, the monthly, yeah, the weekly RVR show that Ruel, or RNR, the Rotto and Ruel show that we film every week, a couple of months ago, we had this topic. It was, a, we did a top 10 best remote play games. So go check that out. Um, go to rnr.rotto.com, scroll down until you find the episode that's about remote play, and we'll talk about 10 that we think work really well. So there you go. Okay, moving along. Gerald says polyomino games are so engaging. Why, Gerald asks, do I think that is? And do I think uh, it could be captured uh, in a different mechanism? Um, well, tile-laying in general, putting aside polyominoes, uh, the reason it is one of my personal favorites, and I think this would uh, you know, bear fruit along... Uh, you know, wh- one of the reasons it's so popular in, in general. I mean, there's a reason that uh, Carcassonne is one of the premier, one of the, you know, the golden three. I don't know if it's the uh, Batman or the Wonder Woman or the Superman of board game gateways. You got your ticket to ride, you got your Catan, you got your Carcassonne. You know, usually, I mean, this is back in the day. There's more, um, you know, there's a whole Justice League of them now. But um, I think, for me, tiling 
in general, is so satisfying because when you're done, you have literally built something. It is not something that is abstracted away in the form of victory points um, or you know how many kills you got or something like that. It's a thing, and you can see it, and you can touch it, and you can feel it. And I think that fires a really... Um, you know, low-level, almost lizard brain dopamine pleasure rush um, because it's one of the things that um, separates us from very few other um, creatures in the animal kingdom that actually consciously, purposely build things. You know, like beavers build dams. I imagine beavers, in their own beaver way, find that to be incredibly satisfying. And, I mean, we do the same thing. And so, being able to bring that tactile nature into our fun gameplay, where we don't see it in most games, John. You know, a, a worker placement game... Uh, you know, I mean, you know, what, what am I building there? A, a, a bunch of cars I have in front of me? That's not a thing. That's not a place. That's not, you know, if, it, if it's like Glenmore, it's a tile lane game that represents an engine. That's not my actual engine laid out here in front of me that I can actually play with. So I think people like to build things and create things and tile layers scratch that itch better than most other mechanisms. And then on top of it, why are polyominoes do it even better? Because there's an extra level of satisfaction that comes from getting all these things to slot in so perfectly. You know, there's like a whole genre of videos now on YouTube and TikTok called Most Satisfying, where they're just videos of things slotting into other things, usually in a, in a really smooth and, quote, satisfying manner. So that's why I've got this jigsaw. I mean, there's a reason jigsaw puzzles have existed for... How long have Jigsaw Puzzles existed? For hundreds of years, at the very least? And they're, they still... Sales of Jigsaw Puzzles totally eclipse everything we do, um, you know, or that we play as you know, diehard modern board gamers. Why? Because of that... Why do people do it? Because it's satisfying to get it done. And that's what Tile Lang does. And polyominoes do it even more because they're not just simple hexes or simple squares. They're actual complex shapes that still have interesting interactions with what they're going next to. So I think that's why they really stand out. Uwe Rosenberg, uh, Gerald, uh, uh, Gerard continues, Recent game Tulip Fever uh, sounds interesting with its Yahtzee mechanism, but it's gotten terrible reviews. Have I played my copy yet? Is it that bad? No, I haven't. And I really really want to play it. But the monthly voters, the people who back the show on Patreon, they vote on what I'm going to cover, and it consistently... It's done okay in the votes, but it hasn't quite made it up to the top. Let me take a look. How did it do in the last vote? Let me just pull this up really quick. Uh, because, for folks who don't know, if you back me on Patreon at any level, even a dollar a month, you get to vote on what will be covered on the Rotto Runs Through channel every month. Let's see, back to the browser. So that's why this month I'm recording, I'm filming run-throughs of Concordia Solitaria and Maracaibo the Uprising and Three Sisters and uh, Shinkansen Zero Kai. And uh, let's see, and here's Tulip Fever at 12.58. But the top one, that was getting to uh, 28.97. So, Tulip Fever is smack dab in the middle. It's not like poor Trek 12 that actually gets negative votes. People vote against it. Or Nirvana or Milestones. These are a subset of all the games I've got still to play. So, if it could work its way up better, uh, higher, I would definitely play it. But I haven't been chasing it because the people who support my show have indicated to me that it is not a high priority for them to see it. Which is too bad, because I'm really interested in it. How's it doing on the thumbs? Let's see. Let's look at that. Did I talk about the thumbs list already? Uh, tulip. Tulip. No, it's not even... Am I spelling it right? T-U-L-I... No, no. Tulpen. T uh, right. Tulpen, which I assume is the German plural for tulips. Uh, tulpen. 
Right. It has only gotten 17 people have thumbed it saying, yes, I would like this to appear. Every month, in addition to the games that um, people vote for, you know, my Patreon backers vote for, I cover a game that's at the top of my thumbs list. Um, and Tulpen Fever just needs to get more thumbs. It needs to get about... I mean, what's currently at the top of the list? Uh, at the top of the list is Terra Mystica Merchants of Sea. That's currently the high one. That's probably what I'm going to be doing next month. That's at 58. So if Tulpen Fever could go from 17 to 59, I would cover it next month and I'd be able to tell you. I definitely want to play it because I've read the rules and it looks really sharp to me. And as far as I'm concerned, um, Uwe Rosenberg has only ever had one stinker, which was... I can't remember the name of it now. It was a real stinker, though. Maybe this is his second stinker. I'd be willing to bet it's not, and I definitely want to give it a try. But that's why I haven't done so yet. Okay. Alrighty, then uh, uh, Gerald continues. Jamie Stegmeier posted a blog about the top 20 selling games of the past few years, and Gerald noticed most of them had attacking in some way or other. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, Most forms of entertainment. I mean, humanity loves blood sport. We love seeing conflict. Uh, it, it gets the heart racing. It's, again, lizard brain stuff. Anyway, uh, Gerald looked at my top 20, uh, which you can find at rank.rado.com, and found it interesting that most of my top 20 also have attacking. 11 out of the 20, in fact. Maybe we Euro Care Bear gamers are subconsciously not as conflict-averse as we'd like to think. I only list... So then he's taking my top 20. I only list the games that you can avoid attacking or being attacked, which rules out Agricola, Maracaibo, Nations, or Dominion. Agricola, it can be an incredibly nasty attack game. Agricola is, you know, it's in my top 10. It's one of the most hard... I mean, I have definitely been raked over the coals. That can be a, an incredibly rough game. If somebody just uh, takes the sheep and then doesn't have a oven to cook them and doesn't have a pen and just lets them go solely so I can't get them because I've got an engine based out of them, there are few moves in all of your board gaming that is more nasty than that in Agricola. Uh, but anyway, so you're looking like a uh, pandemic has viruses attacking and us attacking it. Shadowrun Crossfire has attacking bad guys. Gloomhaven has us fighting monsters. Um, Castles of Burgundy has no attacks. Agricola has no attacks, although it does, just um, not thematically. Energy Empire, are, are we get attacked by pollution. Okay, um, right. so I, I get the idea. Here's the thing, Gerald. Um, what I avoid and what Jen tries to avoid is not the idea of conflict in game. We're human beings too. And we also respond to some of the old um, ultra violence, you know, kick them, smash them. I mean, it's it's kind of hardwired into our DNA. Um, you know, it's 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 exciting to fight off hordes of, of scary bad guys or whatever it might be. But um, we just don't want to attack each other. We don't mind getting attacked. I mean, a, a game that actually makes us work hard that, you know, I mean, Agricola attacks us by making us starve, by, you know, denying us resources and, you know, making us lose points if we can't find a way to feed our people. That's an attack of sorts. It's a, 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 a denial attack, a denial of food, a DOF attack. Um, so it's just we do not want to physically be the aggressor. And I don't think any of my top 20 have. I mean, you can you can you can get attack cards in Dominion. We would never play with those stupid, crappy attack cards in Dominion. They're garbage. Why? They're wasting space. But yeah, none of these games are ones where players attack each other directly. That's what we avoid. And then Gerald continues. Jen doesn't like dark themes, but he, Gerald notes I don't seem to mind them. Um, would I consider doing a solo-only Patreon run-through series um, games of themes that generally I don't cover? Because of Jen, uh, like Dawn of the Zed, Final Girl, uh, Red Dawn Rebellion. Or would you prefer not to take up space on yourself? Here's the deal. I could definitely do that. But 
I've got enough games that I can play with Jen, and I play games because I want to share the experience. So you're right, I could certainly do that. If I ever got to the point where I was ahead of my queue of games that are outstanding that I need to play, that would be a really great idea. Um, because, yeah, I don't mind playing a game where I pick up a machine gun and shoot at people. Uh, but my wife will never want to play something like that. My wife will never want to play a final girl. Which is why I had Kimberly Tolson cover it for the channel. Uh, because I mean, it was just not something that was, was going to get to our table anytime soon. So, um, yeah, I can imagine that being something in the future, but for now, I've got way too many games to cover as it is. I, I, I can't go making more work for myself. Uh, but thanks for the question. It's, it's, a, it's definitely a good suggestion. Definitely. Okay, moving on. Darren has got a bunch of questions. First of all, he says, uh, in the last podcast, Gold West, I mentioned that Gold West has kind of a 2D Moncala. And then he jokes, does that mean that Takedo is a 1D Rondell? Yes, yes, yes. It is ridiculous. That I don't know what I meant. I mean, obviously, I mean, everything we play in board games, they're all two-dimensional. They're, they lie flat on the table. Um, what did I mean? I, I meant by, um, I guess I really meant it's one-dimensional. I mean, I mean, it's a Moncala that isn't circular. I mean, a Moncala, no, I mean, a Moncala is free. You can go wherever you want. They're often made circular, whereas Gold West is Moncala-like, but it just goes in only one direction. And uh, But even still, that's what Moncalas do. But then I'm thinking of like five tribes. That's a Moncala that goes all, and original Moncalas could go any direction you want. It's really, Stefan Feld kind of, um, you know, um, codified what we think of as a Moncala today, that it goes in clockwise around a board. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take the uh, caveat out. Gold West has a Moncala game. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and uh, w- point taken, sir. But anyway, then I assume you have a real question, as opposed to just picking nits. I have said in the past that what I enjoy about Agricola is building a hand of cards at the start. And then um, the game almost plays itself. That's not quite true. Um, Building the hand at the start means I then have a blueprint that I have to try to follow to the best of my ability. And the game will throw, and my opponent will throw all kind of obstacles for me being able to optimally, um, you know, deliver on that plan. But yes, it's very satisfying to be able to come up to, all right, this is what I'm going to do early game, this is what I'm going to do mid game, this is what I'm going to do late game, and then see if you can actually make it happen. And it never works out. You always have to zig and zag. Anyway, though, uh, Darren continues, How does that differ from building a deck in Marvel Champions or Magic the Gathering? Which is my least favorite part of those games. I think it uh, it differs hugely. In I mean, there's lots of different ways you can play Agricola. As far as I'm concerned, the best way to play it is... At Agricola, you are supposed to start with seven minor improvements and seven occupations. And these are the cards you will potentially play over the course of the game. Of those 14 cards in an average game, you'll maybe play five or six of them at the most. Um, And because of that, the game says, you know what? Just everybody take random cards by default because you're not going to play all those cards anyway. You'll find some synergy. Don't worry about it. Uh, Hardcore Agricola players, they do a a hand draft. Oh, I've got my hand and then I take one. I hand the rest to my neighbor. I would never want to do that. It slows the game down so much. It's like a completely different game. But I understand why people want that because it minimizes random. I think the best way to go, what Jen and I do is, we draw, each of us, independently, 10 um, uh, occupations and 10 minor improvements, and then eliminate three of them. So that is us, and that is a far cry from taking hundreds of Magic the Gathering or Marvel Champion cards and trying to figure out, okay, which 60... 50 or 40 or 50 or 60 of these cards will work really well out of a pool of hundreds and hundreds. I have zero interest in that. And it is a very, very different ask rather than saying, oh, here's 10 cards, get rid of three. 
In Magic the Gathering, here's 2,000 cards. Get rid of 1,960 of them. So you get down to 40. Now, don't get me wrong. Jen loves it. When we used to play Magic the Gathering back in the day, and we, both of us, we used to uh, you know, engage in uh, tournaments in Seattle and stuff like that. Um, Jen really liked deck building. I never, ever, ever... or I'm not going to call it deck building. Dominion is deck building. I call it deck construction. I've always hated it. And uh, yeah, I mean, the start of Agricola is very, very different. Same thing, Ray's Arcana. One of the reasons it is just about the best... You know, from what's it? Um, Race for the Galaxy guy. Tom Lehman. One of the most brilliant... Um, card game designs in the last few years is because it does the same thing. Hey, look, here's here's a handful of cards. Make your deck. It's a very small deck from a very small pool, and then run that deck as best you can. That's great. Um, you know, stripping away 500 cards or a thousand cards or even a hundred cards down to 40 cards is not interesting to me. And trying to find those synergies and then hope they work out. I understand people love it. I I, I could not be less interested in that as an activity. And to me, it's very, very different than the start of Agricola. All right, Darren then says, what do I think about the new Castles of Burgundy on GameFound? Uh, art looks good, but it also looks like it's going to be a whole lot of minis for the buildings uh, that look nice, but aren't needed. <clears throat> I have to admit, I didn't look at it that close. I was just so excited. Um, although, I mean, I'm pretty happy with my, what's it, my 10th or my 25th anniversary edition. You know, the Aaliyah box. I mean, I've got that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm excited. I guess it's something I really want. I mean, Ruel and I were just talking about this on the R&R show the other day. Why are Stefan Feld games, by and large, not really full of a dazzling razzmatazz when it comes to their production? And this is it. Here it comes. So I think that's very, very cool. I guess I'm curious about what new features are going to be added to the game. I'm sure there's going to be new modules and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I didn't know there were going to be miniatures. I don't care. Miniatures, I mean, and if they're not washed miniatures, I would rather play with standees or flat chips because I would rather look at art rather than amorphous gray blobs. But that's just me. So I guess those are my feelings about right now, but I have not dug into it too terribly much. The publisher hasn't contacted me about covering it. Um, so, and I don't know if they're going to, so I'll probably just be on the sidelines checking it out with everybody else when it goes live. Although, man... Boy, would I totally love to cover that, because I'm super excited. I mean, uh, Castle Burgers is in my top 10 games of all time. It is my favorite game for my favorite designer of all time, Stefan Feld. So any any new um, Burgundy, even if it's just getting a new look of paint, is interesting to me, but this seems like it'll be a lot more. Um, right. Uh, and also, and not for nothing, yes, don't need buildings, but getting back to what I was talking about before, how tile layers, and this approves, this definitely applies to Burgundy. It is so satisfying at the end of the game of Burgundy to see, look at my province, my French provincial uh, little kingdom I built up, all these tiles I somehow made fit. It feels great. I love it. If those were all 3D buildings, that'd be pretty freaking cool, I have to say. So I, I, I think it would up the fun factor for the game for me. Not function, you know, it's definitely, a, what do you call it, a form over function thing. But I'm definitely curious to see more. All right. Uh, Darren then continues. A lot of YouTubers these days are doing their own ads for sponsors. Uh, some more news. Uh, or, you know, from uh, Cody Shodi. I know what you're talking about. Are particularly good. Um, or like, uh, oh, what's it? The uh, Barely Inconvenience guy. You know, he, he does really funny ones with the astronaut. Uh, but anyway. Uh, right. That, that was me interrupting. Uh, but, um, you know, Darren notes, I, Darren hasn't seen this happen with board game channels. Why do I think that is? I'll tell you why that is. Because all of those, um, things, you know, the, the, uh, oh, what's the, what's, what's the, the one that, I mean, I, I know, I, um, um, no pun included does them for Skillshare, 
But as I understand it, all of those things are basically, hey, you do the ad, and if people follow those links and sign up, you will get a fraction of a penny, or you know, you'll, you'll get 25 cents, or whatever it might be. I, I have no idea. You won't get very much. And the reason, there is not much reason, there's not much reason for us to do it, because board games and board game media are still tiny, tiny, tiny little... Uh, little um, no- nothings. I mean, uh, you know, the, you, you mentioned Summer News. That's a show that gets hundreds of thousands of views with every episode that um, Katie and Cody put together. And um, so, yeah, when you're talking about numbers that big, you are going to get a very, very, very tiny portion of your audience today. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I'll go on ahead and sign up for a free week of whatever, blah, blah. And so that will actually translate into something that's worth their time. If I did it, it might translate into five or ten bucks a month. And to me, it's just not worth doing it, um, at, you know, at all. So I think that's why it, it's it's a function of the fact that board games are not as big as video games, are not as big as movies, are not as big as politics or TV or anything else. We are just way too podunk. But you know what? If you ever get a chance, ask Efka and Elaine because last I knew, maybe they haven't, maybe they're not doing it anymore. But last I knew, they were doing Skillshare. Maybe uh, they know something I don't. But I think that's what's going on there. And then finally, Darren's last question. Um, Darren, suppose that um, I, the industry, am... am, am all right, oh, no. Oh, this is continuing. Uh, right. Inherently sponsored by the show. Oh, yeah. Oh, continuing. Uh, presumably, we're inherently sponsored by the games we're showing off. Uh, so you don't need sponsorship from random products. No, 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 no. That's not it at all. Um, if, if, you, if you watch the intro to this episode, you know... I mean... I can't do this for free. I live in America. Do you know how many hundreds of dollars I pay every month to have healthcare that I can't afford to actually use? I need to make money out of this venture. So if it would make money, I would certainly give it a try, provided I could find something that would be interesting to me. I wouldn't just want to schlock sell anything, but I don't know. If MeUndies... I've never tried a MeUndie. They sound really good because I've been hearing about them in other podcasts for years now. Um, But again, if I did a MeUndies ad... I could sign up for it and maybe, I mean, I, uh, this is a very popular podcast. You know, according to my stats, it's in the top 3% of all podcasts in the world based on the downloads I get. So I could probably sign up for MeUndies, but still, I get enough, uh, maybe it'd be 10 or 15 bucks. And honestly, I don't care that much. And, um, so yeah, it's just, it's just, we're, we're not big. If, if I ever went over to video games, you know, and, and I, you know, not that I'd become a, superstar necessarily, but I think I would certainly do much, much better, then maybe you'd be talking about something. But board games just aren't big enough. That's why we uh, take sponsorships from board game-related stuff. Because we have a very niche, a very tiny, but a very targeted audience. Um, Alrighty, anyway. Gerard. We're done with Gerald. He was a bit ago. We're moving on to Gerard. Hey, did I not have... These should be in alphabetical order. Did I fail? I totally did. A D came between two Gs. Oh, that's so Rado. Anyway, though. Um, from Gerard. Hi, Rado. I just finished watching the R&R show where I mentioned Melodice, and uh, Gerard wanted to throw out there, just in case other people might want to check it out. Uh, Gerard has a friend, play background music to go with our games, and uh, uh, I was playing and forgot about it. Thanks for mentioning it. I totally agree. It really brings games to life. It's uh, not much, but it adds that extra wow factor thoughts. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for people who don't know what Gerard is talking about, let me go on ahead. Um, for people who are watching this rather than listening, I will put it back on the browser. Mellow Dice. It's Mellow Dice 
Melodice.org. If you're listening to this, it's literally just Melodice.org. It's a very simple site. You ch- type in a name. We were talking about Agricola earlier. Let's go. Let's go to Agricola. Hey, here's every instance of Agricola and associated stuff it can find on BoardGameGeek. Let's go to Agricola. It's the big one. And hey, here is a playlist of music chosen by fans of Agricola, added to this. It's really a, uh, what do you call it? Um, a uh, YouTube playlist. Um, you know, music from video games. Here's some Legend of Zelda music from Wind Waker. Uh, some stuff from The Witcher. Uh, a lot of video game stuff where appropriate, but sometimes, you know, classical music or instrumental stuff. All kinds of stuff. But stuff that, in theory, enhantuates... Enhantuates, I was going to say... Uh, Oh, I can't even think what I was going to say. I'll, I'll stick with Enhantuates, um, the experience of playing. And yeah, Jen and I, we use it all the time. I've got a nice little Bluetooth speaker um, that's just always on. It's always paired to my phone. And um, so I can just open up my phone, go to Mel... I actually have a shortcut on my phone that takes me direct to Melodice. I type in the game. If the game doesn't have a playlist, I type in some other game that's popular, that's in the same genre, the same setting, the same theme. And then I we have music to play. And it just it makes it better. Uh, absolutely love it. Highly recommend it. Melodice. M-E-L-O-D-I-C-E dot org. Alrighty. Back to the questions. Uh, Gerard, uh, let's see, likes how games are trying to be more creative in campaign or legacy style content. <clears throat> like adding pieces in Charterstone, having uh, choose your own adventures in Above and Below, uh, below storytelling and so on. Adventuring in Robin Hood, they use, uh, like you put it, an advent style, an advent calendar style, where the game progresses and you need fingernails or a butter knife to flip them over. I like the Plunger of Rise of Queensdale. Why didn't I think of the Plunger of Rise of... Oh, man. I mean, when I put up my... I'm, so many people who saw my Adventures of Robin Hood complained, oh my god, I bet those things are just going to be ruined after like two plays. I'm like, no, they're not. If you just exercise even the tiniest bit of care, it's totally fine. But people are just predisposed to assume everything will just melt in your fingers. Um, but yeah, The Plunger! Uh, Rise of Queensdale is another game that had um, you know advent calendar style things you could pull off your board. And it came with a little, the world's tiniest plunger you could use to pick them up. I, am, I still have that plunger around someplace because I had a prototype for Rise of Queensdale and they sent me a prototype plunger. I should find that. I should totally find that. And so I have it for the next time one of these games comes up. Anyway, though. Uh, at the end of all that, Gerard asks, what would I like to see added to these types of games? Dude, I don't know. If I knew that, I would go design a game. Um, I am really... Let's see. What are you saying? Um, basically, more creativity in campaign and legacy style games. What it would be a cool legacy gimmick. Hmm. Let's see. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. It just so happens I'm streaming this live to an audience of 80 viewers right now. I'll look over there and see if anybody in the uh, live chat has a suggestion for cool new ideas for legacy gimmicks or whatnot. But let's see. Can I think of anything? So obviously, you start with the ripping stuff up, the applying stickers, the writing on stuff. You know, and that's kind of like, you know, what... Davio um, defined as as the basics. Um, let's see. More plumbing tools, says the chat. Thanks, Wes. That is not the most helpful right now while I'm, f- I'm filming my recording my podcast. Let's see. I mean, I, I mean, I really like the stuff. I I love the feel of taking a card and ripping it up to shreds. It's so satisfying. It's so liberating. But um, yeah. What else? Boy, I mean, if if I could think of something, you know, it's probably something that somebody would have done by now. I am just not the most clever. Um, you know what? One thing. Um, I, I, this is you know what's it? Um, 
Gloomhaven is ostensibly a legacy game, and some people really can't stand it. So you can go out and buy, I believe, clings, which are, you know, they're, they're these things that have been around since the 70s, at least. They're things that will just, like, um, you know, they're made out of some kind of plastic. They're not quite magnetic, but they will just cling to surfaces. So you can just take them and pick them off. I'm kind of surprised nobody's done anything with that in board games. I'm sure there's probably some kind of family party games that have done stuff like that. That's really what you want to do. You want to look to the world of family party style games. One's going way back because those games come up with crazy off the wall gimmicks all the time. And those gimmicks almost never, ever, ever make it into what we love to play. And it always drives me nuts. Why don't they? Um, let's see. Although the audience suggests, uh, you know, destructible minis made out of styrofoam. Wow. That, that would definitely be taken to the next level. Um, that you literally have to, um, you know, smash your minis apart. That would be very, very cool. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, there, there, there's, uh, there's the kind of stuff that you see in a lot of escape rooms, right? Where you have to find stuff hidden in the box. I mean, you've seen some of this in existing legacy games. But, you know, the kind of stuff like the old Mad Magazine, folding things together to find hidden messages. There's lots of stuff you could do. Um, yeah, and I think maybe the, uh, the exit... Uh, the Exit series of games is full of so many clever things they have come up with, with a pair of scissors and a willingness to fold things. Let's see some more of that kind of stuff brought over into proper um, Euro game style legacy games. That would be awesome, also. Alrighty. Uh, yeah, like making origami pieces and whatnot, the chat suggests. I mean, yeah. So I think there's probably some stuff like that. Look to board game publishers trying to stand out with your upcoming legacy games. Look to classic kids and party style games and look to escape room games and start bringing those into the heavier, crunchy, meaty Euros. That would be super awesome and I'd love to see it. Okay, Griffin. Moving on to some new questions from a new uh, a listener. Early on in my board gaming journey, did I ever do much board game trading? Oh man, Griffin, did I ever. On board game bargain hunting... Uh, or board game bargain hunting at thrift shops, uh, family game stores. If so, what was the best trade or best bargain I ever had? Personally, I love the thrill of a board game hunting at thrift stores. I was lucky enough to find Space Alert New and Shrink at a Goodwill for $5. That is amazing. I have never had... Okay, no, I've had one. I've had one uh, amazing discovery like that. It was when I first moved to Malta, and uh, I was looking around on the island. Malta is a country. It's one of the smallest countries in the world. It has less than half a million in... Ha- uh, you know... Uh, citizens. And uh, they don't have... When I first moved there, there was not much in the way of gaming. There was a Warhammer and Magic the Gathering based store. And I went down there. You know, we see stores like that all the time. You know, 99% of there is Warhammer and Magic the Gathering. But they did have a handful of board games. And they were way up on the top shelf. Clearly, nobody cared about them. They must have tried at one point and decided, yeah, no one's ever going to buy these things. And they were just gathering uh, dust up there. And what did I find up there in the dark back corner? An in-shrink copy of Star Wars Queen's Gambit. Is that it? Queen's Gambit? The um, the Phantom Menace game that has still, to this day, crazy out of print. You know, commands prices over 500 bucks on eBay and whatnot. And there it was, pristine in shrink. And I picked it up on the spot and took it home immediately. That was a really big score. I mean, not as big as yours. Five bucks for Space Alert is amazing. But, you know, Queen's Gambit for... What was it? I think I paid 60, uh, 60 euros for it. That was pretty amazing. I got it out. I opened it up. I played half a game, decided, yeah, 
don't like this game at all. It's not that good. And um, and then promptly sold it to somebody for 200 bucks or 200 euros or something like that online. So that's my one big one. When I first got into board games, I traded like crazy. I did math trades all the time. I um, you know did proposal trades because I didn't know when I first started how to actually spot games that Jen and I would enjoy. And so I just took a lot of Hail Marys and made a lot of bad guesses. But I never really felt too worried about it because there was always somebody on Board Game Geek who wanted that and had something that I wanted. And you know, the Board Game Geek tool trade system is brilliant. It's one of the best kept secrets of the site. And so I used it a ton in my early days. These days I don't because I get most of my games because for direct from the spot um from Publishers, so I can cover them, and then I send most of them down to Vegas to go get added to the Dice Tower West Library. But yeah, once upon a time, I was all about that bargain hunting. Okay, um, or more, more really, the trading. Actually, I believe I talked about this. Uh, if you do a Google search for Rado Top 10, or First 10 Games, I did a full video where I talked about my first game as a board game geek, or my first year, and how many mistakes I made, and what I learned. And I think I talked about all my trading, how I learned to trade in that video as well. Okay, continuing. Griffin says, Recently, I found myself in a bind. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Griffin. When it comes to board game themes, I just found myself repulsed to play games with seemingly slapped-on themes of colonizing, colonization, uh, or board games depicting a culture which the designer has no real connection to. Examples being Puerto Rico, Five Tribes, uh, Maracaibo. Have I felt similarly that designers should branch out from these themes or avoid them completely unless they add context historical materials to the rulebook? It, um, it's interesting. The three examples you mentioned are all... Um, you know, 10 years old. The thing is, the industry is changing. It is evolving. And while it might feel like, oh my gosh, uh, we just have nothing but a glut of this kind of stuff, that stuff has really dried up. I mean, you're, we're, um, you know, this year we're going to see Maracaibo re-released as a, a mining on the moon game instead of a colonization of, of Central and the subjugation of Africa theme. And, um, but I mean, I mean, geez, the, uh, over the last six months, I've covered at least two or three games that do an amazing amazing job of tackling um, tricky subject matter in a really respectful way. Like um, a how they um, actually, uh, uh, you know, they literally got, I mean, which, which, you know, is a, is a Euro game about building pyramids in ancient Maya. They actually got a modern day Peruvian scribe, one of the people keeping the language of the Mayans alive and brought him on as a consultant. Um, you know, what's it? I just did a through ice and snow. They were literally hiring um, Inuit tribes, paying them for their time so they could more accurately uh, reflect their people's um, contribution to the mapping of the Northwest Passage. I think we are undergoing a sea change where the board game industry is recognizing that it's not that hard. It costs a little bit of money. It takes a bit more work, but the results are worth it because it makes it allows them to create deeper, richer, more meaningful experiences that have the opportunity to lift all our spirits and inform us in ways that just doing a quick read of Wikipedia entry could never do. Um, you know, uh, what's it? Uh, 
Maracaibo is in my top 20 games of all time. And, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just got a new expansion where, you know, in the original game, the, uh, you know, the, the native people of the Caribbean were pretty marginalized and just kept, there were some, but it was kind of kept, of course, in this expansion, they are front and center. And, you know, they are the real stars of the show. I can't wait to try that. So I think the industry is changing. And um, if it's going to be a game from now on that folks, I mean, Anno 1800 is a game that at first glance looks like, oh, it's just another recreation of, uh, you know, a colonial European power. But watch my final thoughts for that game. I think it's very misunderstood because I've actually talked to the developers. They were actually trying to say, hey, what would the world be like if colonization hadn't existed and instead um, European colonizers reached out across the world with an open hand of partnership rather than a hand of subjugation? And what would that world look like? And so that's what Anno 1800 sets out to demonstrate. How much better a world based on non-zero-sum thinking and actually communal trade that lifts all boats. What could that be like? So I think we are seeing a real sea change. So don't get too um, distressed, Griffin. I, th- I think, if you look around, there are more and more options of people doing it well and doing it right. And, you know, I mean, we've been growing. Um, Mer- you know, Mombasa... I I praised it when it came out, whatever, six years ago, that, hey, you know, here's another colonization game, but at least they took the time to actually have a syllabus where they could say, hey, you know what, this is a really dark chapter, we're not really focusing on that in the game, but if you'd like to know more, and you really should know more, here's some reading you could do. And at the time I thought, wow, that's a really, it's a baby step, but it's a step. And we're we're seeing better and bigger, better steps. I mean, I think we are definitely um, on the move, and it's getting to the point where it's getting harder and harder. I mean, I love that Board and Dice, as a publisher, whenever they do a game set in you know the ancient Mayas or whatever, they actually list in their credits the cultural consultants right there next to the um, you know the the printing house and next to the the designer and right next to whoever wrote the rulebook. And here's our cultural consultants. So um, you know because it's important, and so I think things are changing. So, which is, which is great. Okay. Joseph says, What are my final thoughts on Settlers of Catan? Imagine Jen and I aren't big fans of because the area control element. I played Settlers of Catan once. Back in the early days, um, when I was still working at Splash Damage, and I played a lot of board games at lunch with the gang, and we played a ton of Small World. I have played... I don't know how many hours of Small World. And we played one game once of Settlers of Catan. I remember very clearly I won, even though it was my first game. And I thought, yeah, that's cool. And I could certainly appreciate how important it was. And I could try to imagine what was it like to experience this game in the, what, the mid-90s, right? Or is it the late 90s? Was it the early 2000s? I don't remember when it came out. What a bombshell that game must have been. Um, and it's still, it's really solid. The, the base game, very sharp. I would definitely play the Star Trek version of it sometime if it ever came up. Um, but it's a three-player minimum game. And back in those days, board game industry didn't really seem to care too much about two-player gamers. So, um, and essentially, I've tried, I think, all the different two-player spinoffs, you know, uh, Catan the Card Game, and there, I think there were like some space ones, and none of those ever really resonated with us very much. But I mean, I, I played it. I thought it was neat. Interestingly, years prior to that, this must have been when Jen and I were in our late 20s, she went and visited a friend of hers that she knew from playing EverQuest, and this guy, he had a copy of Catan, and he played with Jen, and Jen, so Jen played it years, I mean, this must have been not too long after, I mean, when was EverQuest at its height? That's when Jen played Catan, 
And she never told me about it. If she had come home and said, oh my god, this is an amazing experience, I would have, well, let's seek it out. Let's try. I'll play it with my, my, my whole course. But it, apparently, it never really resonated with Jen. She told me once, years later, yeah, I think I played that once with FO. Don't remember anything about it. So that's our experience with Catan. We've never played it since, though, because, again, two-player gamers, sorry, I'll come up with a really great dummy player. Catan, where is the Automa player? For Catan, this is ridiculous! It's 2022! It's time for an Automa expansion for Catan! Anyway, number two from Joseph. What would I say is my favorite classic game from the following list? Monopoly, Risk, Clue, Scrabble, or Trivial Pursuit? Well, Joseph, I'm assuming you do not watch the weekly R&R show that Ruel guy, because we actually answered this question. We did our top three greatest classic or mass market games the other day. I think it was two weeks ago. And we both agreed, without even, with any preamble, because this was a choice that the audience chose, hey, do a top three on this. And so we did it. Um, Scrabble, by far. Uh, But I'll go you one step further. I will rank these. I will do a top five countdown. So coming in at number five, Trivial Pursuit. The trivia is great, the game is garbage. Oh my gosh, it's such a horrible experience. Which is why nobody ever actually plays. People just draw cards and just ask each other questions. Because the whole thing of moving around... Oh, it's just awful, awful, awful. So number five. Number four. I'll be honest. No, okay, I'm going to change. Number five, Risk. I have never played Risk in my life. I never, ever will. I just don't care about it. So I'm putting it at number five because I, I, I literally cannot comment on it. That's not true. Trivial Pursuit is definitely the worst. I will say number four... Risk. From everything I've heard, it's not a very good game. But I, I can't... That's that's a, a guess. Number three, Clue. Uh, yeah, roll and move stuff. It's nice. It's a, it's a good little introduction to uh, um, you know deduction and all that. And as a kid, I played it a lot. But um, yeah, I, 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 it's only going there because number two, Monopoly, is better. Monopoly is not a bad game. If played correctly... And played in an incredibly cutthroat way with you know the always-on auctions so that when people can't buy, somebody else will buy and all the stuff gets snapped up really quick. Monopoly is a game that any group of players should be able to finish in under an hour if played correctly without all the weird variants that have popped up over the years. And played correctly, it's not a great game at all. Although it could be. There's a handful of twists you could add. Uh, I mean, here would be my homebrew variant to make Monopoly a good game. Um... It'd be something like, well, basically it'd be, um, you know, ma- manipulating the ro- um, the roll and move. Like you roll two dice to move, and you move um, the value of one die, the other die, or the conveyor. So you get three choices every turn. So you have three spaces you could choose where you want to land. Now, of course, that would break things, of course, because then it'd be easier to dodge. But eventually, I mean, the thing is, Monopoly, the board would fill up very quickly within a couple of circuit, uh, you know, circuits around. All the stuff is going to be, and every move is going to be, oh, please, let one of those three be that I can land in my own space. Ah, that would lead to runaway leader problems. But Monopoly could be made even better, but as it is, Monopoly is not bad. It's just kind of a meh, okay game. Um, and then, and then um, again, Scrabble is an excellent game. There's an entire uh, board game subgenre that you build an industry on. I mean... Freaking King of Tokyo and so many other games still use uh, Scrabble mechanisms, and, and Scrabble is like the OG roll and write. And OG roll and writes are the hottest thing there is now. So Scrabble number one by far. Okay, moving on. Joseph says this is more of a suggestion than a question, but I wanted to continue a conversation from a previous point raised uh, in an R and R. Oh, you do watch the R and R show? Okay, you must have sent this in before we actually did this. All right, all right. I forgot. This is a month's worth of questions that are coming in. All right. Oh, and he says the R&R content is awesome. Thank you, Joseph. Anyway, 
Joseph remembers someone mentioning they would appreciate a way to get a response confirming their entry into the contest, and I wanted to offer a solution, Google Forms. Instead of having participants uh, submit emails directly to me, I could create a Google Form and share the link over the various platform. People who complete the form would get an automatic response, plus all the data would be collected by Google, uh, saved in a, she- a sheet. Yeah, it saves me a few steps of having to do all that myself. Uh, Joseph would like to point out, he's in no way connected to Google, just wanted to introduce a tool might make life easier. You're right. I have actually considered doing that, in all honesty, um, because I think a month or two ago, our mail server just went down completely for like two days, and so no one could submit, and we had to extend the contest for uh, an extra week. And uh, yeah, and I thought at the time, hey, maybe do Google Forms. I've done Google Forms a few times. Like one of the things people get if they back me on Patreon, is every year they get a new Rotto Runs Through exclusive micro badge they can wear on Board Game Geek. How do I get everybody's uh, Rotto or your know, Board Game Geek uh, thing? A Google form that I just send to all my Patreon backers, and they've got a week to fill it out. So I'm familiar with it, and you're right, it's a good idea. It's just, you know, inertia is a powerful thing, and I've got a thing that I know how it works. I think you're right. In almost every way, this would be superior. Although, okay, I'll tell you one way it would not be superior. The coolest thing about um, contest at rotto.com, when people find the secret word, and, you know, most people just follow the rules, they send the name of the game where the secret word was, and then they cross their fingers and hope next week that they'll win a free game that'll be sent to them wherever they are in the world. Right. But there are always people who take time and send in pictures of their pets or tell stories about games they've recently played or all kinds of stuff. And here's the deal. Um, usually two to three hundred of those come in every week. We used to get almost a thousand, but that's before we switched it and made it. It used to be the secret word was easy to find because Ruel and I were just trying to trick each other. And then we'd tell, hey, everybody, here's where it is. And we got, you know, literally upwards of a thousand entries because it was easy to find. But now that play, that viewers have to actually listen for the secret word and find it, um, we usually get two or three hundred entries. And the thing is, I read every single one of them. And you're right. I guess I could, I could set up a Google form where, hey, do you have anything else you want to say? But uh, yeah, I guess I could. I guess I could. I guarantee you there'd be problems, though, because people uh, there'd be a form saying, hey, enter your email address, and people would mess up, and they would do a typo, and then it turns out they would win, and then I don't have a way to reach them except to reach out to them publicly on the show. There would be problems, too. You're right. It probably would be the best way to go, but again, inertia is just keeping me doing what, what works. Uh, but thank you for the suggestion. I do agree. It's, it's a smart one. Okay. Moving right along to Lance. As someone who is not a Twitch user, but an avid supporter of Rado and a listener of everything in the podcast feed, uh, Lance has a quick suggestion. Having finally decided to try to figure out how to use um, his Amazon Prime account to uh, subscribe on Twitch, for folks who don't know, um, every week... I do one or two live shows on Twitch. And if you subscribe, which normally costs $4.99, but you can do that subscription for free, it costs you absolutely nothing if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. And then that means you get all the benefits. You get the stream avatars, you get the discount on Rotto merch, you get the secret um, bonus videos that nobody else gets to see, you get a bunch of stuff. And it's all free if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. Anyway, so Lance finally took the time to figure out how to do that. Um, Right. So, Lance continues. This is something that um, Ruel and I tell people on the show regularly. Use your Amazon Prime. Subscribe for free. Get all these bonuses. But you may want to go into how to do it for the people who do not use Twitch. I bet there's a lot of people out there who do not watch the Twitch show but have Prime accounts and be willing to put a little time into doing that. Honestly, Lance, that's why we started doing this on Twitch. Uh, It's because literally, probably, I would guess... Upwards of 60% of my audience, probably. No, no, that's true. 30, 
somewhere between 30 and 40% of my audience is American. And then I think another 15% is Canadian. And then another 30% is European. And then there's the rest of the world. So yeah, it might not be unreasonable to assume that, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60% of my audience are literal Amazon Prime subscribers. And they are just literally throwing money away that they could be um, supporting the show with if they just clicked a couple of buttons. It's literally, you just got to go to my channel, click subscribe, and then um, a little thing comes up saying, hey, do you have an Amazon Prime? You subscribe with Prime, you click that, and then boom, you're done. And um, you would be helping keep the show going. Uh, And you'd get all those bonuses that we try to do. And you're right, I've never done a video about it. It's always been something I've been thinking about doing. But then I found another channel did a brilliant walkthrough of how to do it. So if you go to Twitch and you're watching any live stream, including the one I'm filming right now, if you scroll down to the subscribe, there's a section for the subscribe where I say, hey, look, you can subscribe for free with Amazon Prime. Click this link and that takes you to a video that walks you through how to do it. It's just that some other channel did it. And so that's kind of what I've done. But I really should at some point do a Rotto runs through Twitch because Twitch is such a weird ecosystem compared to YouTube. And it took me a long time to get comfortable with it, and I am now. And I could probably do a thing. Hey, look at all these cool things you can do if you watch us on Twitch. I should totally do that. It's been on the list of things to do forever. There's just not enough hours in the day. But I agree, it's definitely something I should do. Lance continues. Uh, oh, you have to go to Prime Gaming, link your Twitch account to your, to your Amazon Prime account, and then you can subscribe. It might be worth explaining um, that you can't do the entire thing from Twitch. Yeah, it's basically, I, I did simplify it a little bit. You you subscribe, and then you say, oh, do you have, there's an Amazon. You say, do that. It takes you to a page where your Amazon Prime, I got you doing it wrong. Like I said, there's this other person that did this video. You're right. I should totally do it. You're right, Lance. You're right. There's a lot of things I should do. I should use Google Forms too. Alrighty. Anyway, though. Scott says, on a previous podcast, I mentioned I was looking for ways to increase the Rotto brand. I mentioned um, one of the best. Uh, I, um, I mentioned one of my best qualities is loving to talk. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good at talking. I don't know that I love to talk. I'm really a quiet, shy, introverted person. I've talked about that at great length, though. But anyway, I'm very good at talking. I think, and I have a way of making games sound like uh, they have so many interesting decisions. Well, if they don't have interesting decisions, I don't put them on the channel. It's, it's not. I'm not making them sound. They have interesting decisions. If they don't, I literally don't cover them. But anyway, continuing, Scott, there are a lot of content creators who create videos about summarizing a game and giving a review or teaching videos, rules, how to play. But one thing that seems to be lacking in the content space is more in-depth analysis and discussion. You're right. Many people have brought this up over the years. And right now, I'd say probably your best bet for in-depth analysis is a podcast called So Very Wrong About Board Games, I believe, or maybe So Very Wrong About Games. Uh, that is an excellent podcast. They occasionally do videos. They start branching into the most stick in podcasts. It's a couple of guys, and they do much more deep um, analysis-based critiques. They only talk about a few games an episode. I highly rate them. I definitely recommend them. I used to listen to it regularly. I just don't have enough time to listen to all the podcasts I want to listen to. So anyway, um, continuing for Scott. How, asked Scott, do I feel about taking some of the higher-ranked games in my collection, doing deeper dives into strategies, how um, to learn and think about the game, how to approach early, mid-late portions, how, uh, how turn order might change the approach, uh, tips to help the player get better and pitfalls to watch for. Uh, Scott thinks, between my elegant speaking... Are you listening? Elegant? That's very kind. Um, Enthusiastic speaking, let's say. My charisma and my ability to analyze decisions, I could potentially start a whole new series uh, to fill that void that my successors could carry on even further. You're right. That's uh, it's People have been asking me to do this for years. Literally for years. And um, the, the biggest problem I would have with that is 
Uh, besides doing the time, it's I've talked about it three times. There's 60 games on that wall over there, and that is just forever burned into my brain that um, my wall of shame is me failing publishers who have taken the time and effort and money to shipping to send me these games. I am I am literally failing them by not at least getting the games played once and at least mentioning them in the monthly roundup. At least that. And as long as I've got that, I don't have time for deeper dives. It is something I think I could do. It is something other channels do. Um, Actually, Shea Parker a regular contributor to the channel now, my first regular contributor. That's kind of his whole thing. Um, RTFM, which stands for Read the <coughs> Manual, um, or RTFM Show, you can find it on YouTube, or you can find a link to his show on any video he ever does on my channel, because I big him up. I want everybody to subscribe to him. That's kind of a big part of what he does, and he does a great job of it. Um... And I'm just not in a situation where I can do that. Not based on where I'm at. I would need to be able to play these games lots. I mean, and you're right. I mean, I've got older games. I could probably do deep dives into Gloomhaven, Agricola, Shadowrun Crossfire, uh, Castles of Burgundy, maybe. But even still, to do that, I would have to get those games out and I want to play them two or three times just to refresh myself. And that's a couple of days that I'm falling behind on the stuff that I still need to do. And so that's the thing. Here's the deal. Sooner or later, I've mentioned this before. Um, folks, uh, this is my 10th year of filming, by the way, the month of April 2022. Uh, my 53rd birthday, my, I don't remember, uh, our 30-something wedding anniversary, and to the 10th year of uh, filming Rotto Runs Through. And um, I'm, I'm celebrating it by, you know, Kim has got a lot of videos coming up. She just started last month. Another new contributor is coming to the channel. Um, they're just about, uh, probably next week, we're putting up the first video from that channel, and I love it. And I want to keep doing this. I want to keep finding people who can do what I do so that I genuinely do it less. Um, so that I can spend more time revisiting old ones that I love. And um, you know, maybe just more... And, and that would be the window to start doing stuff like what you're suggesting. But in my current situation where I personally film something like 70% of all the content on my channel, and, I, and all that comes from me playing these games with my wife, I just don't have the time, Captain! Uh, but it's a great suggestion. A lot of really good suggestions today, folks. Thank you very much, one and all. And that is it. I have made it through the game uh, questions. And um, I've got to move on. i got to get Jen in this chair right over here to start answering uh, the game-related questions that came in for her. And then we'll move on to the personal questions. But before I do that, folks, I'm going to check that live stream and see if any questions from the audience have come in that might be good to squeeze in here as well. So um, what do we got? Yeah, I like these. I like a couple of them. First of all, we've got a question from Metalapole, Metalapole Zero. What Stefan Feld game do I recommend for someone who doesn't have any Feld in their collection? Stefan Feld is my favorite designer. Nobody has ever asked me this before, but it is an excellent question. Let's go back to the browser and let's look at the uh, gameography of Stefan Feld. Alrighty, back to Board Game Geek. And then, wait patiently for that. Wait a minute. Oh, I already have this one open. Oh, here we go. All right. And then go to Advanced Search. Where's Advanced Search? Oh, it's too small. But I have a, I have a shortcut to Advanced Search because I use it so much. When it's too small, Advanced Search. And then, Advanced Search, folks, the most powerful tool on all of Board Game Geek. Designer, Feld. All right, Stefan. Um, I'll do all of them, not so much. But no expansions, please. All righty. Submit. 
Here's a list of every game from Stefan Feld. Let's sort them by what Board Game Geek thinks is the best, and Board Game Geek agrees with me. Um, Castles of Burgundy is the number one ranked. It's number 16 best game in the world. It's in my top 10 of all time. Still, I don't know. Okay, so, um, Metal, was it Metal? You did not, um, you know, give me in. It's, it's going to be tough. If you're a really diehard soccer fan, I would say Spiel mit Lucas, if you could find a copy of it. I've heard that uh, Queen does plan on bringing it back, because it's one of the best board game soccer simulations of all time. And no one has played it. But you can watch my run-through to see what it's like. It comes with a really cool little wooden soccer ball. Uh, or football, I should say. Um, so, I mean, if you're a sports fan, I would say that. But okay, I'm just uh, assuming I know nothing about a person, and they're like, okay, they like board games, and they haven't played a Feld. What would I say to start with? <sighs> I ooh, I almost said Carpe Diem. Because Carpe Diem... No, 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 no. Carpe Diem... There's issues with Carpe Diem. Carpe Diem could have been a good suggestion. Maybe... Oh, maybe La Isla. La Isla is a good choice. Because I, I'm trying to be very careful. I'm trying not to do something that would be too heavy and too overwrought. But then no matter what, even if you're looking for a lighter experience, you would enjoy it. But if you were looking for a heavy experience, you'd still enjoy it. La Isla is a good option. Castles of Tuscany is a very good option. Um, Roma is a good option as well, but I mean, not if you don't want um, you know, direct attacking. Plus, it's out of print forever. Cocopelli is really good, but uh, you know that doesn't work for everybody. Um, boy, that is a tough, tough question. I really like it though, which is why I brought it over here. I am inclined. I'm inclined to go with Castles of Tuscany which is one of his more recent ones. And Castle of Tuscany is basically a stripped-down, streamlined, very fast-playing variation on his greatest game of all time, Castles of Burgundy. Um, and it's fun, it's fast. Oh, but they, they tweaked with it and they screwed it with the second... No, okay, it has the same problem Carpe Diem does, where it was great, but then the uh, publisher blinked because some people complained about stuff, and they changed Fell's design, and so no, I take that back. I, I take that back. Honestly, Castles of Burgundy, the dice game, his little roll and write is an excellent roll and write. It is, and it really captures what makes uh, Burgundy so special. That's maybe a good one as well. My first Feld was Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is fantastic. It's one of my favorites still. But I would worry that it would be a little bit too heavy. That it, it, it can't handle everything. I'm trying to find something that heavy gamers will appreciate, that light gamers will be able to throw themselves into. Most of his stuff skews towards heavier, more complex play. So I think I'm going to come down to La Isla, which is a very, very clever programming area control game. That it doesn't get anywhere near as much attention as it should. It's super sharp. Watch my run through to see why. Or Castles of Burgundy, the dice game, because it's a fantastic roll and write. Everybody, well, you know, if you love roll, if you don't love roll and writes, stay away from it. But if you like roll and writes, you have to try it. I would probably go with one of those two. Thank you. That is an excellent question. And then what was the other one I really liked? Okay. Oh. Um. Okay. All right. It was, it was from Bing. Okay. Trying to put it on screen. Bing413 says, Still trying to get my wife to enjoy gaming as much as I do. I'm trying to find a very light two-player game. That is fun. Ideas. Um, Here's the deal, Bing. I don't know your wife. I don't know your wife. I run into the same problem I just had with this. I, 
if I knew her and I knew you and I knew what passions you shared, what hobbies you go into, I'm I guarantee they'd be able to find something. I mean, it, it, is patchwork at all interesting because of the subject matter of crafting? Um, you know, I mean, because that's a really easy game you make play. Does she like cats? Calico is a great start, but I don't know her. So the reason I wanted to put this up is because I haven't mentioned this for a long time. Nobody's asked one of these, but I'm just going to take the opportunity to suggest Bing. Uh, can I suggest? Let me uh, let me bring back up the browser. Oh, I didn't close it. Go to Bing FAQ.rado.com and question number five in FAQ.rado.com is: I love insert game. What game should I buy? I get asked this a lot. So much so, it makes my number five entry on my FAQ. The answer might surprise you. It is, go to this forum. It is the recommendation forums on BoardGameGeek. I feel like I've mentioned this is yet another one of the greatest, most powerful tools on BoardGameGeek. If you go there, Bing, and you ask the exact same question you just asked me, you'll immediately start getting a lot of um, suggestions, and you'll get people asking, well, tell us about your wife. What does she like? What do you two like doing together? And you will get a high mind of dozens of fantastic suggestions. Um, whenever these questions come up, they always spawn lots of conversation. Um, I, I mean, I, I, when I discovered this, my first few months of trying to be a board game geek, I just made all kinds of terrible mistakes. When I eventually found this forum, um, where, let's see, 23 people answer the question, looking for a light, medium area control game. 27 people, best one versus one strategic tactical game with the diff- with a different genre me- mechanisms. You will always get answers here. There will always be at least a few people to um, sometimes a lot of people that will definitely um, be able to engage you in conversation, have a one-way back and forth. And this is by far, in the entire internet, the best way for you to find a game that is tailor-made for you to try to be able to share some of the love of the genre with your wife. So that would be my suggestion, sir. Okay, and that's it, folks. We are now going to be back in just a second. Jen will be sitting right over there, although you won't be able to see her, um, as we continue the podcast. So hang on, everybody, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, folks, it is the next day. Jen is here off camera, as usual. There's her hand, just as proof. (laughs) And we are ready to continue with a few more gaming questions that might have been of some interest to Jen, or that were directly addressed to Jen, starting with Gerald, who says, Jen, do you know there's a very cute cooperative farming-themed board game called Stardew Valley that has chickens and eggs? And eggs? The publisher is a successful video game company, so they might not have sent a review copy out to Rado. Should he buy a copy today? He should certainly take a look on it, a, a Google look on a, it, and see if we might like it. Apparently, uh, Gerald is pushing a Stardew Valley agenda today, Ooh. trying to get it done. Okay, here's what, the deal. What, has he been talking about other Stardew I, Valley? D- I don't know. Uh, you said he was pushing an agenda today. Well, yes, it's right there. 
Oh, I thought like this was the second thing he no, brought up. This is not the second time he's mentioned the right. Stardew Valley. Uh, he mentioned some other stuff earlier. But um, yeah, here's the deal about Stardew Valley. They actually contacted me about covering it when it was on Kickstarter. Uh, whenever oh. it was a million years ago. And you know how, folks, you know how I'm always saying I say no to nine out of every ten uh, board games that I'm contacted to cover? Stardew Valley was one I said no to. I looked at it. I read the rule book. I thought, this seems sweet and charming and affable and pretty shallow as a board game experience. And I figured Jen and I would not enjoy it. It's very much aimed, very, very lightweight, very sandboxy. And um, from what I've heard ever since it came out, also very, very long, very much overstays its welcome. So I never really sought it out because if I don't have something nice said, rather not say anything. Although here I am. Casting aspersions without any actual direct hands-on experience. But it's uh, never really been that high. However, I think you are in luck, Gerald. Let me um, go over to um, the, oh, what's it called? Thumbs. And take a look. Because I think it's been requested on the Request Geek list for a while now. Mm. And if we take a oh. look at that. Um, yep, there it is right there. Number it is tied at the number four, four. spot. So, if we do Terra Mystica next month, and then we do Fjords, and then we do Claim, which I've already picked up a copy of, and then I just don't know about doing Space Hulk, Death Angel, Mission Pack 1. No one in the world can get that. That's just cruel, actually doing that. But in the next four or five months, I might be covering it anyway. Although, I do exercise editorial control over this geek list. Let's see, who asked for this? Geek list <laughs> item. Let's look at that. Um, Was it Gerald? I mean, it is Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald requested it on February 24th, uh, 2021. Over a year ago, he put it on there. And Gerald, it has been climbing steadily. So, um, right, see, what did he say? Uh, from the designer of Spanish, it looks like it's it, not sure if it's a gateway or heavy game. It's a gateway. It's a super duper lightweight gateway. Um, right. It's cooperative. You might have first contact. And like I said, I mean, I had the opportunity. Um, also, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but Shay had the opportunity and he said no as well. We both said, eh, it looks sweet, but really not for us. So I'm, but I missed my opportunity. When you put this on here, I should have said, yank. But now that it's been here for over a year. And has I, a lot of votes. Yeah. So that's the current Stardew Valley sitch. And I, I think it might finally come to fruition, unless people thumb a bunch of other stuff and push it down relatively. <laughs> All right, so you might be in luck soon. Anyway, continuing on, Gerald then asked Jen, um, what did you like best about Ark Nova? Um, which was the, the, the big, heavy, long um, zoo animal conservancy game. Oh, right. Okay, yes. I mean, I remember the name, really, okay. even more than that. Can you show me a picture of it? Uh, I can do you one better. I'll do Rado Arc Nova. We'll show you the video of it. Oh, let's turn that off. So remember, this was the... Oh, right, with the different shaped pieces that go in your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're, you're doing, uh, like, you know... T uh, tile laying to build the enclosures so that you can get the animals. Uh, the main game is you've got five cards in front of you. When you activate one, then it's going to slide down to the bottom of the row and become very weak until it oh, works right. its way back up. Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, getting animals, building enclosures, uh, you know, doing uh, partnerships, partnerships with universities, yeah. and um, and then just the ginormous, super de dense, thick stack of cards with a billion different things. 
um, trying to get money, trying to get your agents out there so you can do more stuff, and working on two tracks. Working on the make money track, but mm -hmm. also on the save animals track, and when the two overlap, that's what triggers the end of the game. And every once in a while, as the coffee break moves up, we have a coffee break, and then that's when you get a lot of income to keep your, your overall machine going. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so what he wants to know, what did I like uh, best? What did it? you like best about it? I well, I remember really liking the the five action cards, right? The, and how the, those changed the order. The action and, selection system, yes. Yeah, and that also you could do like four things if you did it at the five position, <laughs> mm -hmm. or wasn't it that you got you got extra stuff if you did it? At well, the, the other five thing was, action. don't forget, you can upgrade those cards. Oh, right. So you can flip them so they be so. I mean, over the course of the game, you'll probably upgrade three, four. May you know you can never upgrade all five. You'll upgrade three or four of them so certain you'll become better at certain things, whether it's conservancy or um, you know. Uh, building or whatever it might be, yeah, so or getting sponsors and at various such things. Yeah, so I think probably the the five action cards, the action selection, and system. how they were always changing in priority. I completely agree. That is what makes the game. It is so brilliant, so simple and elegant and easy to understand, and yet so deep. Um, right, I agree. Yep. So, but then he continues. Which would you choose? Never play Arc Nova again because we're so busy with newer games. Or do a live play of it. Apparently, ah! Gerald is very, very fond of Ark Nova as well. Um, well. If it meant never getting to play the game again for the rest of your life, yeah, but we, would you do a live play of it once? Wasn't it like a two-hour game? Uh, it's uh, Yeah, for us, it's like a three-hour game. Yes, yeah, so that would slow. be really boring for it people It would be to very watch. boring, but, but that, apparently Gerald wants to see it, along with a three-hour run-through of, Star, of Stardew Valley. <laughs> well, I would, I would rather do a live play than never be able to play You would game. begrudgingly do a live play to not keep it out of your life forever. That's interesting. I, don't, I would not honestly. That's I would have thought you went the other way. No, I think that's actually a very interesting qualifier question. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would definitely, I definitely would not want it out of my life. Okay, so you're willing to do. Wasn't that my top game of? Uh, it was yes, it was your it was the uh, a rare five star from yeah. you last month. Yeah. In your Gen Jogs video. Okay, well that's it for Gerald. Let's move on to Darren, who is going to be a bit hard hitting, honey. Get ready. You don't like killing people or aliens in games, but you're okay with killing fantasy sentient creatures like orcs and goblins. What's the difference? Say the Enterprise went to Middle Earth. Why would it be okay for the Fellowship to kill orcs, but not the Enterprise crew? Prime Directive aside. Um, well, I think in Middle Earth, obviously, there was a conflict between, quote, the good guys and the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I guess, why all wars happen is because one side is aggressive against another side and mm -hmm. somebody's defending. Um, so I guess that's why it was okay to kill orcs, because the orcs were attacking the peace-loving uh, people but, of the Middle Earth? Uh, but, uh, why, so then, therefore, why wouldn't you play a game where you kill humans that are attacking innocent people? Because well, you just immediately dismiss because it's yeah um it's a it's a bit of a gotcha question yes um I think but I, I don't want to put words in your mouth this is a question to you but I see you're struggling with it a little bit and you're spilling tea all over yourself oh do you have my any gosh paper towels in here I do not have any paper towels have in this to room pause then because I got to go clean up my mess <laughs> Jen in the uh, words of uh, airplane she's got a drinking problem folks. <laughs> She has now gone off to uh, get uh, some paper towels because she spilled it on, you know, this uh, matte surface. Although it doesn't really matter that much. I mean, it's off camera where she spilled it. And she spilled it. I think she cares more about spilling it on her sweater. So anyway, though. Um, and she's coming back. <laughs> is she? Nope, she's not. Oh, okay, no, there she is. So the thing is, 
Tolkien, or Tolkien, was kind of having his cake and eating it too, or at least as it's presented in the movies, but I think this is certainly true. Oh, and you're making more of a mess. <laughs> of course, she cleans that up, and then she starts trying. She brought a kettle so she could refill, and then this... Where is it? And then this <laughs> spilled all over the place also. No, when I poured into the cup, a it, little uh, bit rebounded out. You can't take her anywhere, folks. My tea is cold. <laughs> so I thought I'd use this opportunity to double dually it. Anyway, um, Tolkien created the orcish races as, what are they? Aren't they like aberrations of elves or something like that I forget or humans and elves I, I forget the particular lore but as they're presented they are literally creatures sentient creatures admittedly that are created for the sole purpose of doing evil that they have no desire to do anything other than evil that they are not fully fleshed out well-rounded characterization of of a uh, of a group of people a species whatever you want to say and so with that in mind... I mean, they are born out of sacks, fully formed. Yes. Adults that just want to get their marking no. and go kill. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't know if that's how Tolkien really wrote him as opposed to how Peter Jackson decided to, but that's the visual that Jen has in her mind when she says, yeah, it's okay to kill orcs and goblins because they truly exist for no other reason in their fantasy milieu to um, sow pain and destruction. They don't have... A uh, well, if you look at the world from their point of view, they're actually marginalized and oppressed, and they're just trying to fight for their, you know, you know, and that and Star Trek, which is the way you're referring to aliens, you're referring to, well, okay, she'll, you know, she'll uh, try. She doesn't particularly want to kill aliens either, but that's aliens that are given a full due, uh, you know, that that have their own perspective, and and like I said, I mean, when I say you know, Tolkien's having his cake and eating it too, he's kind of cheating by. Um, not, I mean, they are sentient creatures. And at the end of the day, they probably do have thoughts and hopes and dreams and feelings and care for their children. Unless, of course, they're just born out of sacks of goo. Um, so, Jen's comfortable with the characters, you know, with fighting the characterization of a something that is only barely sentient and sentient only for the purposes of, of wanton murder and destruction. Yes. Uh, if there were a game presented where, oh, honey, you have to fight a whole bunch of goblins and uh, and well, and orcs. goblins are cute in games, and you don't want to fight them. Yeah. Or like um, oh, my favorite one. Uh, What's your favorite one? The dungeon pets. Those are presented in an adorable way. Yes. And that you want to take care of them. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that there's a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, if we were presented with a game where, oh, yeah, look, this is an adventure game where you have to kill a whole bunch of, you know, monsters, you know, and the game actually put a fair bit of focus on, well, the monsters are, we're actually the monsters. We've actually taken back their ancestral land, and they're really just fighting for their own survival and this and that and the other. I think you would very quickly say, yeah, I don't feel comfortable playing this game anymore. Yep. Um, you know, there was an interesting, there, we never played a, a, a Gloomhaven. One of the first missions in the game, uh, when you're still working for the person who is telegraphed is very, very evil. I mean, you know, the, the first um, person who hires you to go and raid a local dungeon that's full of bandits and and uh, and skeletons and whatnot, um, you know, and is 
obviously, you know, an evil person themselves. They one of the missions they can send you out on is to oh, those um, savage ravaging Inox have stolen something. You need to go in and take him out. And if you go and you fight, you just fight, 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 and then you get to the throw through the final door, and you are presented with a whole bunch of Inox children cowering in the corner, and you are made to um, reckon with the fact of what you've just done. And that's like the first. Um, you know, stage of recognizing that what's her name is really evil, and you were working, you know, and, and all of that. Uh, we never played that one uh, because we just didn't go that way because it was very obvious that she was evil, and it was very obvious. Well, if we go do that, we're probably slaughtering a bunch of innocent people. Let's just not do that. Let's just go back to fighting undead um, and skeletons and oozes and um, you know, various and sundry monsters. So you know, that's a that's and again. Orcs and goblins generally are presented. They are not presented. They are written. They are the fantasy trope is that they are only barely sentient. They are um, not much more uh, goes on their brain than an ooze that is just trying to consume. And that's you're comfortable with that. Yes. Yes. Um, And I would also like to go back to his question about why is it okay for the Fellowship to kill orcs but not the Enterprise crew? Right, because. I think as we discussed in the last podcast, how people feel that an internal conflict, it's okay for people to fight oh, right. within their internal conflicts, like say... Yes, African somebody was tribes. asking, what's the difference between the war in Ukraine versus you know Yemen or Syria or what have you, yes. yeah, or, or what's going on with Ethiopia or various other things. So this yeah. question harkens back to that as well. Mm-hmm. You have some outside person coming in and doing some harm to an indigenous population okay. with the Enterprise crew fighting orcs, let's mm-hmm. say. They don't really have... Um, necessarily a reason, whereas maybe orcs and hobbits would because they're inhabiting the same area. Oh, I see. So right. I'm just saying that also, you know, might be an extenuating circumstance that it's not fair for somebody from the outside to come in and totally okay. tip the scales. Yeah. But, I mean, the reality is, I think, um, for you, the Fellowship and the Enterprise crew are the same. It would be okay for the Enterprise crew if they landed in Tolkien to, oh, well, look, there's these unthinking monsters that exist for no reason other than to kill, and they have no redeeming qualities or features whatsoever. Yeah, I guess it's okay if you set phasers to kill at that point, if you need to, and you would be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, because, and again, it's... It's an artifice. It's a fake. It's right. because it's there's not never. really being fair right. to the orcs and goblins. Right. I mean, well, it is well, because never, he right? said, no, look, they're literally born of magic and they exist for no purpose other than this. Um, but that's silly and reductive and puerile. And uh, it's not, it's really not Tolkien at his best, quite frankly. Correct. And also, if you're looking at real world situations, there's never anything that's that black and that exactly, white. Exactly, exactly. So that's, this is a. Yeah. It's but it, it's it's a, it is literally fantasy. That's yes. what makes it okay. Yep. Alrighty. Priscilla then asks a, uh, another tough question. Do I have plans for retiring from Rado soon? Like in the next five years, what do I think I'll do in my retirement years? Why did I put that here? I should have put that in the personal stuff. Oh, because I saw the Rado thing and I just put it here because I figured you want to talk about that. But then there's the retirement. That retirement should go into the personal Q and A. Um, so we'll call this a two parter. Um, <laughs> Do I have times from retiring from Rado runs through soon, like in the next five years? This is a Rado runs through thing, and obviously Jen will have something to say about this as well, uh, because it affects our finances. Um, you know, I, I I don't do Rado runs through as a hobby anymore. It is my job. Mm. It helps pay for our monthly health insurance. It is uh, so absurdly expensive. It helps pay for cost of living. It helps um, you know support my mom, uh, which is the reason we moved back to the states because she was in dire straits. So uh, I don't know. What do you think, Honey Pie? Um, 
<clears throat> Financially, that is. Or, or wherever you want to well, broach that. I Where's think my water? It must be in the other room. Why don't you go grab it and I'll I'm going to get some, Oh, yeah. I'm going to exit stage right. And you can look hey, at nothing if you're watching. Give me, give me 20 seconds on my... In the microwave. You want motion seconds on the cold tea. Gotcha. Yes, yes. My hot water was not as hot as I'd hoped. Um, right. So we've actually been discussing this quite a lot lately because I don't know why, but I just feel like um, life has gotten so complicated and so busy and so crazy. Um, and it's really weird because of COVID, we've had a lot of our opportunities. I'm not just talking about um our opportunities, I'm talking about everybody's opportunities to do stuff has been so curtailed the last couple of years that you would think that we're all, you know, sort of uh, ready to go out and do all sorts of stuff and get back to normal and all of that. But what I'm actually finding instead is that I'm feeling more and more tired and and less and less um, energetic. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't want to say optimistic because I'm certainly, I want to, I want to stay optimistic, but it's just, it just feels like my tank is already half full of crap and so any other crap that has to um flow into our lives makes me crankier than what i think it should actually do if that makes sense because i think it's we've all had such we're all stressed out and we're all full of anxiety already from all of the last few years of everything bad that's gone on so um i come back i have no idea what she's talking about I'm, i'm sort of rambling apparently uh, folks, uh, we have just made the switch over to the personal section. I clearly should have put this question in the personal section because it seems like it has very little to do with games or Rado Runs Through at this point. Okay, well, to get back to Rado Runs Through. Okay. Um, that even though we're doing less games now, it feels like we're working more. Mm-hmm. And I just think maybe it's it's this fatigue that I'm feeling um, from all of the last few years of um, anxiety and stuff. So um, we've been talking about what, what can we do to reduce this feeling. And mm-hmm. that might be working less. That might be doing something different. We're not quite sure what what that would be. So I guess the way I'm feeling right now is that we need to make changes because this isn't working as well as it should. Boy. Um, okay. Was that too long? You didn't even I, know that. Yeah, I didn't hear half of what you said. Uh, I was just thinking more about, I'm going to retire in the next five years. I genuinely don't know because I do not know our financial situation. I would retire as soon as I can. Quite frankly, as soon as I can, I'm going to stop or at least significantly ramp it down. And I'll talk about that when we get to the personal section, because I moved Priscilla's question uh, or second half. What will you do in retirement? I moved that down to the personal section. But her question, are we going to retire in five years? There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. The reality is, as long as we live in the United States, I simply can't afford to retire. Eventually, when our life circumstances change, we will move back to the UK. That is Jen's long-term plan. That's what I thought she was going to talk about. About, oh, eventually we're going to move back to the UK and then our cost of living will go down. And then, yeah, maybe we're going to ramp things back. But for now, we still have to keep working. But apparently Jen went in a completely different direction and I do not know what she said. I'll have to listen to it later. Um, I'm sorry. We, do you want to pause and listen to it? and then we No, can... it, it is what it is. People, you are getting an uncut, unfiltered Jen today. <laughs> um, well, I was just talking to my friend Lori about this too on yes. Facebook and how we're both just feeling really... Just, it's it's silly. We shouldn't be this overwhelmingly. Well, you're exhausted because you just spent, or you're continuing to spend. I mean, you are you're doing a year's worth of work in the space of three weeks. Of course, you're exhausted because of the Ukraine fundraising thing. Well, that's you did. true, but that was awesome to do, and I'm very glad I did it. Yeah, but it, I mean, I, I I think your tiredness is maybe kind of temporarily 
buoyed Bum- by up. that circumstance. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, my tiredness is, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years now. It's the, it's twice as long as I've ever held any other job in my, in my life. I'm bringing on more people all the time so that I can do less, but keep the channel going. Um, because I am tired. I have been tired for a long time, but it's still the best job I ever had. So, um, to answer the very simple question of, (laughs) will you be retiring in the next five years? The question is, it depends. We will probably be retiring from Rotto Runs Through as it is known today, the moment we move back to the UK. If, in fact, we do that. Jen has yet to mention. I've mentioned it twice now. Jen hasn't said anything. This is what I thought she'd talk about. She's still just sitting there silently staring at me as if she's not... moving back to the UK? Yes. Yes. Okay. I mean, I was kind of starting to wonder, is this no longer the plan? Because you are literally just giving me nothing. You're just, oh, God, I can't believe he's bringing this up because didn't he get the memo? That's not happening. I don't know what's going on now. Oh, dear. Um, no, I definitely plan to move back to the UK. That's what I thought. Yes. And, uh, and I'm going to take you with me. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear. I'll yeah. be talking on. So if that happens in the next five years, then Rado runs through, as we know today, will probably end within the next five years. If it doesn't because of our extenuating circumstances, then it won't. Alrighty. And that's it, folks. Those were Jen's game and Rado-related questions. Again, I made a terrible mistake. Sorry, folks. It's so much personal. As I know, some people just like to quit at the game section before we get into the personal. And hey, then you should get out now. Um, and thanks for listening to the podcast. And sorry for my big ramble. Uh, yeah, uh... I'll, I'll never leave her alone with the mic again, folks. <laughs> I have no idea what she said. I'm sure it was wonderful and eloquent and well-spoken. I'm sure you found it very fascinating, and it will spur all kinds of future questions, which, of course, as always, can be sent to questions at rotto.com. So thanks for listening, folks. Um, and uh, have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. And if you're still here, hang on. We'll be right biggity-biggity back. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Okay, folks, we are back, and it's now time for all personal stuff all the time, including the continuation of Priscilla's personal question that I incorrectly put in the uh, game-related section. So, uh, let's start with Andre, who says, Thanks so much for the thoughtful response to my question last week, or for you last week, last month for us now, about immortality. I enjoyed your optimism and found the post-scarcity argument really interesting, but it got me thinking. Uh, do we think the, the U.S. lives in a post-scarcity world right now? My guess is, says Andre, that we've been rich enough for a while to easily cover Americans' basic needs. In fact, the basis for UBI is just that. We have enough to eradicate poverty, homelessness, hunger, etc. in the U.S. If you agree, and it kind of seems like uh, part of your answer last week, uh, you do. My question is, why haven't we done it? Because, uh, yes, first of all, yes, I completely and totally agree. Um, we are the, not only are we the richest country in the world, we are the richest country, we are the richest society in the history of humanity. At no point has there been such an abundance of wealth, widely and readily available and easy to distribute, to ensure we could easily, easily eradicate poverty uh, and homelessness in the United States. 
Um, and there's so much to go around. So much is thrown away. So many empty, oh vacant things. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's absurd. It's disgusting when you actually stop to think about all the pain and suffering and hardship. And to your answer of why haven't we done it yet, it is because of our country's <clears throat> literal puritanical roots. That it is drilled into all of us. That we are a nation of bootstrap, polar, go-getter, self-starters. And if you fail at that, there is something morally wrong with you as a person and you do not deserve our help. You do not deserve the support of your fellow man because, hey, I got mine, Jack. You get yours. It is the very definition of a conservative mindset and attitude. And, hey, you've seen the um, poll results. Um, it turns out we are a heavily divided country. We have one half of the coin that would very, very much like to eliminate poverty for all and ensure that everyone lives in comfort and security and is able to live their best lives. And we've got another half, and I admit I am overly simplifying here, but we have another half who says, get the government out of our lives. Everybody is on their own. And if they can't figure it out, Tough luck to them. I figured it out. I don't have any special skills that every other human being doesn't have. Again, I am oversimplifying. There are compassionate conservatives out there, but that is the overall conservative ethos. Government should not help anyone. Um, that's what the church is for. That's what the church has always been for. And admittedly, the church does a lot of good. Um, Jen has a very close per or best friend in life. Um, their kids uh, have d gone on church missions around the world to help impoverished people several times. So I, I don't mean to despair. I don't. I, I know I'm disparaging, uh, but I'm not disparaging the people who hold this worldview. I'm disparaging the worldview. That is what is holding us back as a species. <clears throat> this antiquated, outdated, tribalistic view that all I care about is me and mine, and anybody outside of that circle. You've got your own people who can help you in your circle, and we can let go of that because yes, um, I mean. Advances in automation, a hundred years ago, it took dozens and dozens of people to do the work of one person in a computer now, and that's only going to continue. Um, you know, it is literally manna from heavens, and it just needs the dirty, dirty word to conservatives, wealth redistribution. But instead, we hold on to our puritanical roots, um, and you know, which is to say, we are a country founded by people who say, no, must work harder. Um, everything of, that is good in life is defined by how hard we work. And if you don't work you don't deserve a good life. And you know, and that's a that's an attitude Jen held for a long time too. It took an episode of the Cracked Podcast uh, <laughs> that we listened to in the car many many years ago that um, really first introduced Jen to the idea of UBI. I remember I played it for her because I was already on board from years before. Although I'd never really heard the UBI movement until this one particular episode of Cracked, and I played it for Jen. And your response to me that was, "Well, no, that's ridiculous. People have to earn their way in the world." Um, and but it took you a while. And I mean, it just stayed with you. Yep. And uh, because it was really so well articulated, I, I remember one of the most powerful things. It was an interview with uh, Jason Pargin, who was a regular contributor to the Crack Podcast back in the day. Uh, he talked about, "Isn't the dream for society always that our the generation that comes after us is better off than us? That we leave something more to our kids, and that they keep, you know, and isn't if in fact that's the case, and that is the case. That is the American dream mm -hmm. that our kids are in a better situation than we are. That everything we do is to help them achieve even more. Isn't the ultimate 
end goal of that that your kids have all their needs met and they have nothing they need to do in their lives other than what fulfills them. Isn't that the ultimate goal? And I mean, I think that was a very, very strong argument. And uh, yeah, it's just most people have not internalized that argument. Most people hold on to the old antiquated ways where, nope, you have to earn your living and uh, no free handouts, no welfare queens, you know, to borrow the old Reagan, um, you know, racist garbage and all of that. That's that's what's holding us back. It requires a fundamental sea change in the way society views personal worth of a person. And because, you know, if a person wants to sit around and play video games all day, if they find joy and fulfillment and a, a life well-lived, who are you to judge them? Who are you to say, no, you really don't have a rich life. And let me tell you, because what I did is what you should do as well. That's what's holding us back as a species. Or at least in the Western world where, yeah, we could eradicate poverty in, in the space of a year. Uh, we could instantly do it. Yeah. Um, you know, If we just had the political will. Well, but the political will will never be there until we fundamentally rewire our human caveman brains. Yep. The child tax credit lifted children out of poverty for the year that it was going. Yep. It, like from 40% down to 10%. And now it's gone and because it's conservatives gone. destroyed it. Yep. Because conservatives, they don't come right on to say it, uh, that, okay, those kids haven't earned their way. But what they're really saying is, those kids' parents are lazy loafers and they need to go out and get a job and take care of their kids. Otherwise, they shouldn't have kids. And they just kind of sidestep the whole, the kids are freaking starving. Yeah, and, and it, right and it's And we can solve it. We can fix it. And conservatives say no, no child tax credit. Um, all those kids right back into poverty, yep. right back to starving. Ugh, sorry, I, I I made a concerted effort over the last few years or last few months to try and damper down my um, the uh, political elements here. You kind of snuck one in there, Andre. Well done, sir. But yeah, that's it. What, what's stopping us? Conservative values. The value of you earn your own way in this world, no handouts, no gimmies, minimize the government. And that is wrong. That is regressive. That is literal caveman thinking. And it, it's, it's, it's literally killing people every day. And it doesn't need to, because you're right. We're the richest society in the history of our species. There is more than enough to go around. But instead, we just keep funneling it all up to the top so that hopefully it'll trickle down. And it somehow never seems to do that, does it? Anyway. Um, all right. Sorry, Andre. Uh, I got a little pessimistic there. I know you come here for the optimism. Let's see if we can turn this around. That frown upside down. Andre continues. My guess is the optimist answer is that people just don't realize we're post-scarcity yet. And so the mindset continues until we can show people the light. I think that's true. Um, you are being a little bit more charitable and generous than me. It is very, very hard to rewire your brain um, when you, you can't see it. Um, and yeah, I mean... Uh, we have a ridiculous class divide in our society, and it is maintained so that those at the top can stay at the top. Because I mean, you know, it's 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 a common thing of oh, you know, that's one of the fundamental underlying drivers of you know the racial divide. Uh, you know, I mean, all, all these uh, again, 
conservative concerns about um oh what's it the 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 was it the white replacement something or other that whites are being replaced because what is it in 20 by 2060 the United States of America based on current trends will be a minority white country and that's terrifying for some people um when in fact it shouldn't be we're all human beings the color of our skin doesn't matter they all love to quote Martin Luther King judge not based on the color of your skin but then they're like oh but whites are going to be in the minority? That's a problem, isn't it? No, it's not a problem. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, that, but it, it, it's driven by, a, oh, the only way somebody else can get ahead is at my expense. Because everything is zero sum. Yep. Everything somebody else achieves means that's one less thing I achieved. And that's what you're talking about there, Andre. That fundamental, again, this is reptile brain stuff. Um, that you know, this is zero sum thinking from back when we were literal cavemen and women who were literally scraping by, and every antelope that my tribe didn't kill is one that your tribe didn't kill, and we're gonna go hungry because of it. And that's so far behind us. Our advancements in technology, we live in a science, we live in the Star Trek future today. Look at 3D printers, we're one step removed from having replicators. But and you know, and three D printers can print freaking food too. I mean, think of the 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 millions of tons of food that are thrown away every day by freaking cruise ships and just dumped into the ocean or incinerated. Think about that for a second. All of that stuff. I mean, we could rechannel. I mean, it's it's yeah. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Do you have anything to say, Henry? Should I continue? Uh, no, control? I think you're covering everything I would want to say. Actually, all righty. Sorry, I got a little out there, folks. Anyway, uh, Andre Kinders, I wonder, however, if there's something about capitalism or human nature that will always make us strive to have something others don't have, whether it's stuff or power or whatever. Are we doomed by this crab mentality? Mm -hmm. The crab thing being the whole that, oh, if you have a bucket full of crabs, as one crab starts to climb up the way to the top, the other crabs grab them and pull them back down. When, in fact, actually what the crabs are doing is also trying to climb up. Oh, look, here's something I can climb on. Which, yeah. again, uh, like uh, a crab it, it's a very apt uh, analogy. Andre continues, it reminds me of the post-civil rights era where communities um, filled pools, um, you know, literally cement, uh, cemented out, completely eliminated pools rather than share them with black people. Or when a large portion of the country screams socialism, whenever we talk about specific policies it would bring us a post-scarcity, healthcare, UBI, higher tax on the rich. I guess my bottom line question is, is it really post-scarcity um, that we have to conquer or is it an innate need um, to um, not have more than our neighbor? E yes, uh, Andre, you've you, you said it very eloquently, mm. much more so than I did. Uh, quite frankly. And you know what? My phone is ringing, and I think I know what this is. I have to take this phone. We're going to pause and be right back. Okay, that took forever, and it's still not done. But we got to get back to this. So, i kind of forgotten where we were, but I think we were just saying, Andre, you summed it up better than we could. So, we'll probably just leave it at that and move on to Andrew, who says, Have you watched the entire seasons of Severance? And if general, what are your thoughts on the final episode? Personally, I think it's the best 44 minutes of television I have ever seen, says Andre. Uh, you remember Severance, of course. Yes, we have seen Severance. We have seen the final episode. Yes. Do you need to be a reminder of the final no, episode? No, I'm, I'm remembering it right now. All right. Would you say it's uh, 44 minutes of the best television ever? The final episode of the uh, first season of Severance? Folks, I am not going to tell you anything about Severance. Severance, if at all possible, you should go in knowing nothing. 
No, absolutely nothing. And uh, because the first episode, you don't need to. You could go in, oh, let's read the summary of what it is. Oh, that sounds interesting. But it ruins the first episode. The first episode is designed to be an interesting, um, constant set of reveals. Uh, assuming the audience does have no idea what's happening, and it's fantastic. I am so happy. It's one of the rare shows I didn't know anything about, and I enjoyed it, and Jen really enjoyed it too. Jen was hooked right from the get-go. So we're not going to say anything about what Severance is. If anybody wants to tell you, cover your ears. Just go check out, literally just check out the first 15 minutes of the first episode of Severance, which is on streaming on Apple Plus, if I recall, or Apple whatever, uh, if I recall correctly. And uh, anyway, I think it's nine episodes, ten episodes, something like that. But honey, uh, Andrew wants to... What do you think of Severance in the final episode? I thought it was very compelling. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's strong words for Jen. Yep. I would agree with you, Andrew. It is definitely one of the best 44 minutes I've ever seen of television. It, uh, that one episode is probably in my top five best episodes of television I've ever seen. It was so, so good. Uh, Jen and I were on the road watching it, and we were watching it on my little 13 or 14-inch laptop monitor, and we might as well have been watching it on you know, a big screen in the theater. We were just so wrapped and up and just completely on the edge of our seat. It was amazing. I cannot recommend Severance highly enough. And I agree, Andrew. Final episode <clears throat> of the first season, and it's coming back. Uh, I'm so happy about that. Directed by Ben Stiller. Do not think because it's directed by Ben Stiller, it's a comedy. There are some, you know, farcical comic elements, but it is not. It is, I don't want to say what it is because it's so great. Darren then asks, uh, how do you see government and law enforcement in your vision of the future? Uh, you say that a lack of scarcity will solve all the world's problems. But I think what you're forgetting is religion. The Crusades wasn't about, I want more land. It was, I want that land. Obviously, politics was a factor in that. It wasn't as simple as God said so, but that was part of it. And religion will never go away, I believe. Darren, you're wrong. Religion will go away. Religion has been on the decline in Western societies steadily for decades now. Religion is a um, is a panacea, or it, it is... A religion is a necessary element in a in a in a scarcity society, where people have to seek um, refuge and support and community because we are all literally pitted against each other in a societal rat race where it's assumed that everything I get is at the expense of you and everything you get is at the expense of me. Well, and also that you're going to get something better in the afterlife for not having. As much in this life. Yeah, I, there's that. But honestly, I don't think that's what most people... I mean, I, I, I think most people... Yes, I mean, yes, they're, they're convinced that, oh, you have a soul and you're not just going to be dead in a box. Or ideally, please donate your body to science. Um, please organs. save lives. Yeah. Um, that if you get, get killed in a car crash so that other people can live. Please do that, folks. Please, everybody just tick that box on the back of your driver's license or however it works in your country. But um, yeah, I'm sure there, there's a lot of that. But no, I think at the end of the day, the main thing the church provides for people is a sense of solace, a sense of hope, um, because they live in a world that is designed to beat them down um, when we don't need to. And Darren, I believe when post-scarcity is upon us and people truly can live, everybody can live their own best lives, whatever they feel um, is most fulfilling for them, 
they will, I mean, sure, there will be some that still seek the sense of community and belonging. But the thing is, they will be free at their leisure to pursue those sorts of things. They will not have to write, okay, I got to tick the box of, you know, getting to church on Sunday because I've got to make sure I'm, you know, you'll, you'll do it because you want to do it, not because you have to do it. You will work because you want to do it, not because you have to do it. And in the face of that, the church's overwhelmingly powerful directive force on society is going to continue to wane as it has done. Um, as educational levels rise, religion falls in societal impact. That is a pure one-to-one ratio. That's going to continue to happen. And um, yeah, so you're right. Uh, if you want to talk about the literal dark ages... Um, <laughs> The, you're, you're entirely right. Um, when no one was educated, no one could read, no one could write, and the church had a stranglehold on what society was, yeah, bad stuff like that could happen. The, I mean, you, go look. I mean, there's tons of studies that just show year after year after year, um, people still hold on to a sense of, well, I'm still a spiritual person. I still believe in something, but I don't know that I believe in God, or I don't know that I believe in um, having to go to church to tick a box. And that's just going to continue to happen. That is the future of humanity. I mean, Star Trek does really show... I mean, there are spiritual people in Star Trek, in a post-scarcity society. And that's totally fine if that's what gives your life purpose and meaning. That's the point. You are free to do it of your own volition, not because you feel you need to. And that goes towards what Jen said, too. Uh, well, I need to do it so I can get into heaven. You know? Um, or... or, or Shakari, to use a Star Trek reference. Um, so, yeah, uh, religion will never go away, but religions, the corrosive elements of society that religion has brought in the past, that will go away. And religion can just get back to what it originally set out to do, which was just help the poor and marginalized of the community. The thing is, um, when there are no poor and marginalized of a community, it can just be about a sense of belonging and community. And hey, that's great. You can get that same community from rallying around your favorite baseball team or from donating time down at the local co-op garden or whatever it might be. Uh, church will just be one more of those things. And that's fine. That's beautiful. If it ticks a box for some people who want that sense of spirituality. Because all of our brains are different and different people need different things. And if, 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 if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad as long as you're not hurting somebody else. And I do believe in a post-scarcity future, the church will not hurt anyone. It will only help people. Uh, getting back to the positive. you have anything to add to that, honey pie? I mean, I was talking yeah. about your friend, and uh, just in the last one, uh, you know, FO's kids have, you know, done, you know, th there's a lot of good that religion does. There's a, you know, it, 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 at its base level, incentivizes charity, compassion. It doesn't always work out that way because it has been co-opted um, as part of the overall market forces that drive everything in a scarcity mindset. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anything that I really want to add. Okay, all right. Cool, cool, cool. Then we'll move on to Griffin, who says, At what time <laughs> um, did you have the most animals or pets? And if so, how many? When growing up, Griffin had a dog, four goldfish, two parakeets, a toad, two chameleons, two turtles, and a hamster all at one time. Wow! Uh, I, I can't touch that. What's, uh... I think it must be right now, because we've never had so many chickens. That's a good point. Yes, yeah. what do we have? We have 16? Is it 16? 16 16 chickens. 16 chickens and two dogs. Yep. 
two and a half dogs because and there's mom's there's dog Maggie. Six or seven goldfish out in the okay. future. That's true. We we don't have an exact count. The when we bought this house, it has a little pond out in the back. You could see it if you're a Rado Rambler. Like one of our first rambles I ever did was, hey, let's give you a tour of the house. Look at this pond. Oh my god, I think there's fish in here. Yeah. And somehow they keep surviving they year after year. Apparently, like algae. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they, they're, they're, they're eating something in there. I feed them in the winter time, but I don't feed them mm. in the summer. Yep. So yeah, like I said, we don't know exactly how many. We've got four or five or six goldfish. Something like that. Um, 16 chickens, two and a half dogs. Yeah, it would definitely. We have this is we're at our zenith. Although I think you still win, Griffin. Yeah. Uh, question number two. When you were talking about immortality in the last podcast, it made Griffin wonder if tomorrow you could become immortal, would you? Or would you choose to live uh, 200, 500, 1,000 years old? Mm. What would be your ideal lifespan? You know, there's been a lot of TV shows and movies about how immortality is actually a curse. Mm-hmm. So maybe even having an end date, even if it's a thousand years. You would know, you know, hey, this is my time. And anyway, the likelihood that within a thousand years, there would be some other technological advancement that would allow you to continue living longer if you chose to. So I think with that, with that out, I would just say, sure, a thousand years. Please. I would say immortality, please. Um, again, it all circles back to the same thing. We, we are, we're simple creatures. We're just dumb animals like all the other dumb animals. On the, We're just a little tiny bit smarter than all the other ones. We have a little bit more self-awareness than all the other ones. But um, it is very, very hard for us to break our preconceived notions of what it means to live forever. Oh, that means it's going to be miserable and I'm going to be old and crickety. Well, first of all, no. Uh, you're going to be, you know, it's, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be like you're 30 years old for the rest of your life. You're not going to have an ache or a pain in any joint. Um, you'll be at your, your peak physical because, because we'll be able to, um, Hey, if you suffer severe damage, we'll print you up a new kidney. We'll just totally do that. And your body will be able to, it will not suffer the degeneration of time. You will not have wrinkles anymore. None of this stuff will happen. Um, and you're like, Oh my God, but what will I do forever? The question is, whatever you want. Um, and I, I guarantee you, in an eternity, there is no way you can experience everything life has to offer. Because other human beings are creating new things every day. Uh, and you will still have that. We are expanding our horizons. You will eventually be able to travel the stars if you are immortal. Um, you'll be, I mean, there are so many things I couldn't do in 100 years, everything I would like to see in this world, um, let alone a 1,000. And you know, by the time a 1,000 years have passed, there will be a 1,000 years worth of additional stuff. How many books? How many um, TV shows? How many awesome freaking board games are there going to be? Are we going to stop making board games? Are we going to stop writing great works of art? Are we going to stop creating um, ways to entertain each other? No, of course not. And the and our, our reach is only going to increase increase over time. I, it's, I don't understand. I mean, we were just having this conversation mm. with Jen's sister not too long ago. Oh, I, I can't wait to die at 70, she was saying, or something like that, or something <laughs> yeah. really weird and alien to me. And I spent quite a bit of time explaining to her, you don't want to be there when your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids or whatever. I mean, I mean you don't want to experience all of these things? Life is so freaking good. Why would you ever not want it? I don't know. I don't get it. So yeah, straight up immortality for me, thanks. Um, I guess with the caveat of, okay, if I ever get tired of it, 
um, yeah, I'd like to off myself because there shouldn't be any societal shame over that. Yes. Uh, it's such a weird notion. Again, born out of religion. Religious. Born out of religion that everyone, everyone's soul is sacred and everybody has to do their time on earth so they can earn their way into heaven and all of that. And, you know, and that's what it comes from. And again, that is, I mean, Dr. Kevorkian uh, you know, who was it earlier saying, you know, we'll never be done with religion, but we will be done with the corrosive elements of religion. There are too many people pushing our species forward. Uh, Dr. Kravorkian pushed our species forward by normalizing the idea of dying with dignity and that it's okay and it's not a sin. And, you know, that's just the first step. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, so, sorry. I, I, I kind of petered out there at the end. Do you have anything to add to that, Honey Pie? Or you said you want to be a thousand and done. When you get to no. 999 <laughs> and 364, you're like, yep, okay, I think I'd, I'd like to go now, please. No, I, I think it's with the caveat that, you know, I can make a new decision at some point. Because technology <laughs> will continue to go, get better and better and better. Yes, but his thing was, no, you had to decide right now. Would you, you know, pick, a, pick an end date for yourself? That, that is what the technology gives us, and that's it. You get to decide once in your life. At the ripe old age well, of 50. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, but no. I'm just saying, it's nice to have, as long as, immortality means you never die. Mm -hmm. And you were just saying immortality with the ability I to know, die. and I and, and, and honestly, saying, and an I, will, I, will, I will absolve that. He didn't give us that caveat, so I'll take that out. I literally cannot die. Okay, then I'm going to stay with a thousand because yep. I think having an end date from all of the fiction that we've read and all the shows and everything, people get tired of living at some point and want to just move on to whatever's yes. next. Yes, and all of that fiction is written by people who are who have bought into an idea that doesn't have to be the way things are. It's it's yeah, it's just it's just it's a trope for vampire fiction. That's what somebody mentioned. <laughs> oh, vampires always get so sick of being immortal. Um yeah, I'm sorry. Have you been immortal, Anne Rice? Are you really sure? Or are you just speculating based on what other people have said before you? I, I don't I, I do I do not agree. I disagree. Joseph says, My partner and I got married last January. Congratulations, Joseph. Yay! Uh, More love. Yes. Je uh, Joseph continues that Jen and I are such an inspiring and supportive couple. Joseph was wondering what advice do we have for a newly married couple? Oh. I think one of the great things that we figured out somewhere along the line was um being able to decide when one of us is telling the other something, do you want me to help you fix this problem or do you just want me to listen? Mm -hmm. And mm. I think that's really important because oftentimes, you know, people don't really listen. They just want to help you fix it. Mm -hmm. So as a newly married couple, there's going to be a lot of times when you just need, need someone there to listen to you. And whether it's a problem between you two or it's a problem with you and your work or you and your the world and whatever. Sometimes you just need... And that's what I think marriage should be about is you. somebody's got you your back. You are somebody's number one. Mm. And so just being able to, to say anything, to vent, to discuss, to discover things together, whatever. Um, so that kind of a communication I think is essential. I like that quite a bit. That's very, definitely true. And it is, I mean, it is literally a... Uh... A cliche, the whole um, men fix things, yeah, women talk. I, I, yeah, I, and um, and and I would certainly say something I fell into. Uh, you know, like, well, 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 okay, let's just fix this problem. Like, I'm not here trying to fix the problem. I'm just trying to get some sympathy and some empathy, and I'm just trying to. I just need to vent. Yeah, I, I just need you to understand what I'm going through. Yep. And yeah, and that was that was a lesson I learned. Uh, one of the things I, Jen and I were both certified scuba divers, and when you're underwater, you're constantly flashing okay symbols at each other all mm. the time. You're trained to do that because you could die if you're not careful, and you always have to make sure. And I, I ask Jen all the time, probably at least three or four times a day. Yep. Hey, Annie, are you okay? How's yep. it going? 
Yep. I, I'm just constantly asking her that. I don't know if I do it too much, if it gets annoying. Um, because, uh, you know, 99 times out of 100, the answer is, yeah, I'm okay. They're yep. like, okay, good. Just checking in. Just making sure. Yep. Actually, that is really good because sometimes there'll be something I'm stewing on. Yeah. And you asking me that question moves it from Brings the it back up. of my brain to the front of my brain. Mm. And it, Am I okay? Yeah. Well, what is it? What am I feeling right now? I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm cranky. Why am I cranky? And so sometimes it'll be, you know, you did the, you didn't put the garbage. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know what it was, but, you know, and so it just, it allows... Instant fixing of problems rather than letting stuff build up in the back of my brain and then I have an explosion. Yeah. And it's also a way for me to communicate that I do genuinely care about your well-being. And yeah. I do want to know. I mean, it's a genuine question. I mean, it's almost reflexive for me now, but it's every single time. It's a genuine question. Honey, are you okay? Everything okay? Everything going okay? Yep. I mean, at least a, a half a dozen times a day, she hears that from me. Yep. And do you remember yesterday? You, you said something and, oh, you could leave the door open to the studio, his, his filming studio. And I closed it and as I was walking away, I made a joke about, no, I just need my <laughs> privacy or something like that. And he said, wait a minute. Were you just totally joking about yeah, that? Because yeah, yeah. I need to check in about that. And I'm like, yeah, I was totally joking. Yeah, she made a sarcastic joke in a way that I had never heard her make the joke before. And I'm like, oh, wait, is there something going on here? I better check in. Yep. Or is everything okay? And that yeah. was just yesterday. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, half a dozen times a day is probably a bit much. Probably, I, I probably ask you, I would say maybe on average two or three times yeah, a day. Yeah, I would say two or three yeah, times yeah. a day. All right. And so, more often if something's going on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. If, if we're in the middle of something, you know, I mean, God, if we're on vacation. I'm asking her every two hours because <laughs> nothing more stressful in life than going on vacation. <laughs> You'd be like, ah, I have to make sure everything works. Um, yeah, the most stressful thing, vacations. All righty. Um, so congratulations, Joseph. Hopefully that helps a little bit. All right. Uh, Lance says, just in case anybody didn't hear, uh, could uh -huh. I talk a bit about meeting my adopted sister? Uh, Lance has a lot of adopted family members, and it's great that this was such a good discovery for everyone. It wasn't exactly adopted. Oh, yeah, okay. Basically, I mentioned this. What was it? I guess it was on the R&R show. I must have talked to Ruel about it, probably. And not everybody watches the R&R. Although, if you're listening to this, you also have the R&R show where we talk about a bunch of other stuff, but regardless. Um, yeah, my mom, um, when she was 20 years old, 19 years old, when she was in college, I think she was a, maybe a sophomore, maybe it was her freshman year, she got pregnant. And um, she had to make the, the heartbreaking decision to give uh, the daughter up for adoption. Because at that time, in the uh, 60s, her choices were raise it by yourself with no support from your family. Because her family's answer was, hey, why don't you just, we'll, we'll fly you down to Mexico and you can get a back alley abortion. That's what her family's response was. Because uh, we're not going to support you in this. That's how we will support you. Or she could try to raise it herself as a single mother. Although one of her co-workers at the drive-in, you know, the, where she rode around, this is the 60s, she wore a skimpy outfit and uh, roller skates and served people burgers in their cars. And apparently the dishwasher there said, oh, Bobby, I'll marry you. Um, oh. Marry me, I'll, I'll help you take care of the baby. Or, or something <laughs> like that. I didn't know this. Um, and she told me about it recently. Wow. Um, or give it up for adoption. And that's what she chose to do. And it has been, it has weighed on her for her entire life. And back in the 80s, she had tried several times to go back to the adoption agency, the government agencies, and see if she could get information. She was always shut out, and she had decided, oh, well, I guess I'll just never know. I'll never know what happened to my daughter, her firstborn, uh, my half-sister. Uh, oh, and the, 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 the guy was, had a family, so he wasn't going to give her any support either. 
So she that was the tough choice she made. So um, my niece recently for, for Christmas got a hey let's do a DNA thing that'll be fun twenty what three and me uh, or DNA something or other you know several of them so she did that for fun and then a few weeks later she got contacted hey this says we're cousins or, or, or high probability of being cousins and I was getting up for adoption is there any chance you're my family. Because I have always wanted to know my entire life. My name's Tammy. I am a 53-year-old substitute teacher in, in Northern California. And I have always wondered, where did I come from? And so my niece's mom contacted me and said, Hey, ask Bobby, my mom, does she want to talk about this? And I mentioned to mom. And mom's jaw hit the floor. Just completely, I mean, she had so, for so long just given up the idea of ever knowing. And so she said, yes, oh my God, yes, of course. So we did some due diligence. We figured out, um, you know, actually, Tammy had more questions for us because she didn't, was afraid of, you know, scams and stuff like that. And, and eventually, you know, we, were, we have a high degree of confidence. Uh, all the things line up. You know, where she was adopted, where mom gave her up, you know, who her adoptive parents were, you know, what my mom knew of the situation, etc., etc. Um, Tammy's medical history versus my mom's medical history. And so we were all confident. And so we recently did a, a Skype call. And uh, there were many tears and telling of stories and where did, um, you know, what was your life like? Um, you know, what was the story? Um, you know, and, and the best thing for mom was when Tammy said, okay, the number one thing I want you to know more than anything else is thank you so much for not giving up on me because I know how hard it must have been for you to do this to give me a life. Uh, and I had a great and wonderful life and I just want to thank you. So that was a really big deal for everybody. And that's the story basically. Yes, it was lovely. Okay. Um, right. Olivier says, I just listened to an old ramble where you said that you tried Claim. Did I? A two-player trick-taking game from Scott Alms and Art by the Miko, two of my favorite designer artists, and felt it didn't live up to the acclaim for you. Are you sure? Are you sure? Anyway, um, Olivier continues, I'm curious to know what trick-taking games you do like. Um, well, actually, I wonder if it was something other than Claim. Or I wonder if I was thinking maybe I played it. I don't really remember. I recently picked up Claim 2 because did we already just talked a little bit ago, earlier in this very podcast, right, about the Rotter request list. Oh, yeah, we were yeah. talking about Stardew Valley. Uh, when you saw that, Claim is very close to the top. And so I recently picked up a copy of Claim 2. And I played it a few times. I haven't played it with Jen yet. I definitely plan to. I played it with a few folks at Dice Tower West. And I thought, oh, this is nice. Um... Maybe, maybe that's where I said it. Because honestly, I don't quite get why people love it so much. But I thought, oh yeah, this this works. This is good. Anyway, though, continuing with Olivier's, but I'll be doing a run through probably within the next half a year if it keeps getting a few more thumbs and working its way up. So Olivier's curious, what tricking games do we like? Uh, you know, we like the crew. Haven't heard about other popular two-player uh, trick takers like Fox and the Forest, Fox and the Forest Duet, Jekyll versus Hyde. Uh, if it's co-op that appeals for the crew, Fox and the Forest Duet does this, and specifically two players. We have played Fox and the Forest Duet. We thought it was fine. Um, it was nice. It was co-op, but we found it to be too easy. Um, you know, it, it just wasn't very, very challenging. We were able to, oh yeah, okay, we can, we can work this out. The crew is definitely better. We just actually played a couple of other trick-taking games. Um, I cannot think of the names of them now. One of them I don't think has been released yet. Uh, it's I know where it is. I'm going to be right back. Honey, stall. Yeah. Stall. Uh, uh, what can I say? Um, I thought the adoption thing was amazing. <laughs> That's I was just thinking about that and, and just how absolutely incredible that was and how wonderful 
technology is that brought people together. Yep. Okay. Uh, we just recently played Megalomania, which I do not think is available yet. I think this is a prototype they sent me. Uh, remember, this was the trick taker we played where uh, it was kind of a fantasy setting and we had missions. It's, it's basically kind of like the competitive version of the crew. It has all the stuff the crew has of variable missions that change the requirements. Or, oh, I, I really want to lose or I want to oh, win three yes. times or whatever. Yep. Um, but then still just playing trick taking. And uh, but But it adds... Uh, every single card you play has special abilities, um, which again is you've seen this in other trick-taking games too. But you have to have earned resources, and I think when um, oh no, I'm, I'm mixing up because there were two trick-takers we played. We played Megalomania. There was the one that you got, and we ten. played Animalia. Animalia. This was the saving animals. Yeah, I think that one was the one where you got the ten black cubes. Or yeah, but five. this one, this isn't a trick-taker. Yeah, we we just played. Well, uh, that one was uh, huh? The one with the ten black cubes or the one. Crystal and fire Yes, cubes. that's Megalomania. Yep, 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 yeah. That uh, Megalomania is a trick taker that does have resources you can earn based on the types of tricks you win, and um, you can spend those resources to activate the special powers of cards. Whether you win or lose the trick, those special powers will often say, "Oh, this round, uh, low value wins instead of high value," or ignore the what's it called, the domination instead of the trump suit, or, or stuff like that. It was good. Uh, I would almost say it's almost as good as the crew, quite frankly. Some people might like it more than the crew, because it does a lot of this, the co-op-y stuff of the crew, but turns it into back to a competitive game, like trick-takers normally are, and adds a bunch more stuff. Here's the thing, though. We played it, and we realized, yeah, I, I, we didn't really talk about much afterwards, but I don't think I like trick-takers. Yeah. Because the whole thing... When you're not playing a cooperative trick taker is, right, how can I outwit you? How can I outsmart you? Ah! Gotcha! Yep. Ah, gotcha again! Yep. Everything you do, every success you have in that game is at the expense of somebody else. Yep. And that's fundamentally what we do not want in our games. Yep. We want to all be... We want to live in a post-scarcity game society <laughs> where it's not tit-for-tat, where it's not zero-sum, where everything I achieve is pushing me forward with not at the expense of anybody else. And a trick taker... Um, it's a pretty violent game when it boils right down to it, because I can only win by making you lose. Yep, or making me feel stupid. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, it's really well done. I mean, if you're a trick-taking fan, definitely check out Megalomania. Um, it really, uh, but, yeah. So, then back to, we do like the crew. And it's interesting, we played this one. This is Animalia. Animalia. Animalia, Animalia, Preventing Extinction. This is a cooperative tick-traker. Very much. I'm obvious, I think the developers were inspired by the crew. It's a cooperative game where, um, again, uh, you know, there are missions, and the missions all center around, okay, you or I have to win a certain number of tricks, uh, or there's a third dummy player. And, I mean, I think, is this, this is only... No, it, does, it goes from one to three players. Uh, does not support four players, interestingly. In a two-player game, or the solo game, there's a dummy player who, like... Um, actually, it's interesting. The crew, I think, is smarter because you only see some of the dummy player's cards. In this, you see all of the dummy player's cards when you're choosing what they want to play. What? Why is this in the personal section? Why is this in the personal section? Jeez Louise! This should not be in the personal I'm sorry, section. I totally derailed. You're entirely right. I mean, I'm, I'm to I totally screwed that up. This is 100% a game-related question. People who want a game, sorry. Well, okay, you get a little bonus game stuff, folks. I totally screwed this up. I'm not going to edit it back up there. Anyway, this is a cool little game. Um, and uh, But I did not like... I, I think that the crew is better in that it... You don't keep, you see the entire um, dummy player's hand. 
I did like the theme. I thought actually, I, th I actually liked this one quite a bit. I don't think Jen liked it as much. And I think it was more than anything else the fact that we had too much control. Uh, there was, I mean, because you could see everything they've got, it was much more, well, okay, obviously we need to do this and this and this. And it was kind of fait accompli. And there was no, oh, well, do they still have the thing we need? Where is the other thing? I don't know where it is. Um, because between the two of us, even, that was the other thing too. Um, we were allowed, if I recall correctly, to talk about our hands. We couldn't show, but we could still... So we could track down every card. We knew where every card was, and that's... Now I need to go back and double-check. Maybe I read the rules wrong on this. Um, but it, 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 I, mean, I thought it was actually pretty sharp. Jen thought it was a little bit too straightforward because it was too easy to calculate stuff out. So I think the only trick-checker we were ever going to enjoy, to answer your question, Olivier, is a cooperative one where we still do not have access to all the answers. And the crew does that so well. And... Um, and, you know, Fox and the Forest duet, it was just too easy for us. Um, we just kind of breezed through it. Anyway, sorry, that should have been the game section. Apologies. Priscilla says, hey, honey, what's your... No, I say the honey part. What's your favorite <laughs> breakfast food? Or maybe so, she does. Hey, why not? Yeah. Eggs, obviously. Eggs. That's it? That's all you got to say? Well, bacon. Yeah? Eggs and bacon. Okay. Garlic. Onions. Mm-hmm. Cheese. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty much it. Okay. Cinnamon. Oh, that's a bit of a uh, jump. Well, I'm just that was not consistent I'm with everything mentioning else. Mentioning everything. So Cinnabon specifically. Yeah, Cinnabon. Um, I love melons. Mm -hmm. I love mangoes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, breakfast food, eggs. Yeah, eggs and meat. Uh, I'm the same. What's your favorite uh, form that eggs can come in? Quiche, probably. Quiche. All right. Mine would be fried. Uh, and a little, little bit of cheese and some bacon or sausage or That's because you're avoiding the vegetables that I put in the quiche. Yes. No, I mean, vegetables are fine on a fried egg, too. On the side, you kind of mix them up in. But yeah, fried eggs, I think, are the best. And Jen, quiche is the best. All righty. Then, for continuing from Priscilla's previous question, what do you think you'll do in your retirement years? <sighs> while you're waiting to live forever. Okay. So... I took uh, Gert to the vet yesterday because we think she's got a bladder infection. All right. And I was talking to the vet, and we were both bemoaning the um, extortionate costs of veterinary care these days. Yes. And even worse, that it costs $300 or $400 to, to get a pet spayed or neutered. Yeah. And you have to wait four months because yeah. there's just not enough vet techs out there yeah. um, and everything. And when we were living in Malta, and I'm sure everywhere, anyway, there were people that would come by, um, a group of vet would come and they would... Um, yes, they were government-sponsored. Yeah, Yeah, they'd trap the feral cats and they would spay or neuter them and they'd take a little tiny nick out of the ear so that if Mark the that cat... Been done, yeah. In future, yeah, they could tell easily that that cat had already been neutered. And I loved this idea because the suffering of animals, because they can't control their reproduction, is heartbreaking to me. Mm -hmm. um, and there's only so many resources to go around in, in, in a wild community. So... I've been thinking now for wow. at least 10 years. I was unaware of this. How can I help with this? Mm -hmm. Because I would like... And neutering, especially male animals, is very easy is because the testicles are fairly easy to get yeah, to. Yeah. And I was just thinking there should be like some kind of a certificate program where you go for a year of school mm -hmm. or something instead of... You don't want to be full veteran and veterinary. No. You just want to... I just want to learn how to spay and neuter animals. Okay. Um, and maybe even just neuter. Because spaying, yeah, because spaying is the, there's innards and yeah, stuff. Yeah, innards. So I'm I've been this has just been kind of cooking in the back of my brain. Wow. Because you have to go to a full you have to get a full vet license mm -hmm. to be able to do this. And I'm thinking there's got to be a better way. So I was talking with Patty yesterday, the vet, the vet, and she said yes, 
there apparently are going to start being a two-year certification program. Wow. Where you can learn to, and I don't, I don't even want to make money. I just want to be one of these people that goes around um, to disadvantaged communities mm -hmm. and helps with this. Yeah, because uh, this is something you see, uh, one of Jen's favorite TV shows is Dr. Jeff Mountain Vet. Yeah, he's, uh, he's in Denver, Colorado. Vet, and uh, a lot of the shows are, oh, we're going to Mexico. We're yep. going to be here for two days, and we're going to spay and neuter everything anybody will bring to us. Yep. Totally free of charge. Yep. Yeah. I would love to do that. Wow. And I, I'm sure I could go as a support person, but I, I want to be somebody who can do something. Mm -hmm. I want to be I want to be making that difference. So anyway, I've just been uh, Googling. Wow. Um, well, you can't see that. Anyway, <laughs> um, if, to see if there's anything in the States about two-year um, vet programs. Wow. And I think actually it might be easier to just get on Google, some like uh, Reddit group or something, and ask mm -hmm. directly if mm -hmm. anybody has mm -hmm. any, because there's a lot to sort through on Google. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm just feeling like, gosh, that would be an awesome thing not necessarily in my retirement years, but sort of now. Yeah. And then we could do, you know, like when we moved back to Europe, we could do trips to Estonia or, oh, I don't whatever, know, yeah. Spain or... Or Malta. Something. Malta. I mean, there's... Uh, Italy has a huge overpopulation problem. That's yeah. why we got Daisy yeah, from yeah. Uh, Rescue a Sicilian Stray. Mm. Um, I would just love to be able to offer vet services for no cost to low-income communities. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Yeah. That's very exciting. Yeah. So... Right now, I mean, and it's been cooking for a while. So I think that, and maybe we have to wait until Europe because school is cheap in Europe mm, okay. for residents. But yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, but hey, I would another problem with America. What are the out of control costs? The things are completely unregulated: education, uh, healthcare, and rent, of course. Yep. So how about you? Um, well, first of all, I would like to say that's fascinating. That's interesting. And that dovetails very nicely back to stuff I was talking about earlier. Yeah, what everybody would people like, do? Oh, I, I will run out of things to do and see when I'm 70. That's because you are displaying a fundamental lack of imagination. Or, there is an infinite amount of things you can do with your life. Right. Or what would people do if they didn't have to worry about the cost of rent or whatever? Yes. I would go, I mean, I would be delighted to go out and do these services for free. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah because it, um, you don't do it because you need to make a living at it. You do it because it's what... What draws it, your heart. It's, it, what, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's what uh, fills your heart with joy. Um, yeah, so that's great. Uh, you know what fills my heart with joy? Reading books, playing games, and watching TV. <laughs> so your life's uh, pretty good right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty easygoing that way. I mean, my number one thing is, I, I mean, I've mentioned this many times on the podcast, I used to be a voracious reader. I would love to be a voracious reader again. As long as I continue to work, I will never be able to do that. I feel like I've got a thousand books Jen has read over the last 30-some years, ever since I stopped reading, that I should go and read them all. Okay, honey, I mean, I mean, she's got them all. They're right here on her phone. There's a history of everything she's read on Kindle. And I'm just going to, okay, honey, tell me what the best ones. And I just want to start reading those. And I want to spend the next five years just reading like the way I used to read. Oh, and it would be so nice that we could discuss stuff like that. Oh, I know, I know. I, I completely agree. We, we often discuss what you're into mm -hmm. because you're so much more um, able to speak about everything. And yeah. I, I absorb it, but I'm not necessarily as good about speaking and <laughs> teaching it and elucidating it. Okay. So. Yeah. That'd be um, awesome. I would like to really start reading again the way I did when I was younger. Um, when life is simpler and I uh, didn't have all these other things that just filled up all the hours. All right. Um, Ross. Although I'd probably go, I'd drive Jen around. I, I would try to be the support staff you would for be. Uh, Jen's... Uh... You'd be getting us lunch. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, could, I could totally do that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All righty. Ross says, I love all of your content and the R&R &R show is phenomenal. Thank you, Ross. 
just listened to episode 82 of the podcast and heard you list off a million shows that you're watching and have already seen, but I had to recommend one for Jennifer. Uh, Yay, and, and good he points job. out he spelled it correctly. Thanks, Ross. All right. Have you already seen you may have already seen it. Blown away on Netflix is a glass blowing oh. competition that showcases different glass blowers. No, it's not exactly the same thing Jen does, but she says she loves artisanal, artisanal, or artisan reality type shows. Blown away is top notch. Two seasons so far. They're great. Hope they keep going. Uh keep doing what you're doing, says Ross. And yes, thank you for your suggestion, Ross. We have already seen both seasons. Yep. Jen loves it. Loves, 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 loves. loves it. Yeah, but the only artisanal show she's never really shown interest in is cooking ones. I mean, there's so many cooking shows, and you just don't seem to have any. And you love to cook. I'm always kind of surprised you don't are interested in those. Yeah, I think it's because you hate cooking stuff. Ah, uh, it's not interesting to me at all. Yeah. yeah, and also I think it's gotten kind of a bad taste in my mouth because of um, who's the violent chef guy? Um, oh. Got blonde hair. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, who's really cussy. And oh, yeah, it's like kind of his shtick. That, yeah, you know, he's he, yelling at people yeah, who, and he makes a high-stress environment. Yeah, he's and, the a-hole chef. Yeah, yeah, kind of okay, a thing. Okay, there you go, yeah. yeah. And oh, you gotta love him. He's 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 an a-hole, but you gotta love him kind of a thing. I don't or love whatever. I do not love that. Yeah. I do not need that energy in my life. Yep. So, I don't know. I'm sure that there's a lot. And like the British Bake Off and all of that kind of stuff would be fabulous. But I only have so much time and <laughs> I'm watching vet shows. Yes. Watches all of those. Watches all of those. Alrighty. Um, thank you, Ross. And okay, we are done with the question, folks. And now it's time um, to end the show with Jen's words of wisdom, and then we'll look at some pictures of dogs. Pictures of dogs. And a bunch came in. Thank you very much, everybody. Ooh, excellent. Um, but yeah. So Jen's words of wisdom, Honey Pie. What would you like to say? May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. Okay. I think that's fantastic. Who said that? Nelson Mandela. Yep. Good, good quote. Trying to wrap that back into the fundamental overarching themes of today's episode. I think that fits in pretty well. That does, actually. Uh, I I want a world where everybody can make choices based on their hopes. Instead of everybody making their choices based on their fears right now. Because everybody's afraid they're going to starve. Everybody's afraid they're going to be cold. Everybody's afraid something's going to be taken from them if they don't take it first, etc., etc. And we don't have to live that way anymore. Our choices can reflect our hopes, not our fears. So let's make it so. Okay. And uh, yeah, let's look at some pictures of dogs. Although, folks, if you don't care, because you're, I mean, obviously, we're just going to say ooh and ah, look how cute. So you might end the podcast now. <laughs> uh, thanks, as always, for watching or listening. Questions to questions at rado.com. And we'll see what happens in the future. Alrighty. And uh, thanks for listening. Talk to you so long. Bye bye. Picture time, dog time. Hey, Alex, or Alex A is Alexa. back. Oh, Alexa, stop. Oh. Uh, problems with Alexa. Uh, Alexa, stop. Uh, all right. So Alex says, I, I had to include this picture of our sweet, silly pup, Lola, who climbed her way onto the table in the middle oh, of a game. Man. Uh, that is adorable. I love pit bulls. They yep. are such wonderful dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love their big, goofy grins. Wait too. a minute. Looking really closely at this picture, what's this down here in the bottom right corner? It's hard to tell. Is it? Can you not see it? it... I think it's pretty easy to tell. Can you zoom in a little bit? Uh, can I? I can see something blue. All right. Oh, oh. Whoop. What do you think those are? Well, that looks like a Whitwit. Yes, I believe that's what that is. <gasps> and As a I believe care-wit-wit. it's a Ukrainian care Whitwit. Yes. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. Oh, that's Alex wonderful. Alex A didn't even mention that. But yeah, that's cool. Yay! I'm glad they're getting some some good airtime. Yep, 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 yep. Out there with the playing and the board gaming. And uh, and Lola is adorable, a silly pup. Hopefully, that didn't mess the game up too terribly much. <laughs> what is that? Is that the that's the alternate um, 
replacement for Lo Yang, isn't it? The Raycold, I think? I'm not quite sure. It's definitely an Uwe Rosenberg game. I can't quite think of the, which one it is off the top of my head. I think... No, no, it's the work replacement one. Ah, anyway, though. Uh, anyway, continuing on, here's a picture of Lola with her brother Sawyer on his second birthday a few weeks ago. Oh, they are wonderful. That is very cute. Look at the spotty ears. Yep. And she's got she's got heifer ears. Heifer look at Sawyer. Ears. That is an adorable pose from yep. Sawyer. I love the tilted head. Yep, yep, yep. So cute. Oh, what? Are these all dog toys for the birthday? It would appear to be, oh, yes. Uh, it's a doggy birthday bag. Yep, very cool, very oh, cool. You know... As What's doggy that? as we are, we have never done any birthday dog things for no. our dogs. No. They maybe get a couple treats on their birthday. If we even know what their birthdays are. Or whatever we well, decide yeah, their birthdays true, yeah. are. All right. Marlon says, meet Tommy, our 12-week-old Labradoodle. Uh, and then the big one is his nephew, Ted, almost, uh, uh, at almost six months, Labradoodle. So here is Tommy. Oh. That is a little fluff ball. He is awful cute. All righty. And there's Tommy oh. and Ted. Wow, that's 12 weeks to six months. That's a quite the growth spurt. Yeah. Jeez Louise. Oh, I like that coat though. Yep. That looks just like you could snuggle right in there and have a nice nap. Yep, yep, yep. And oh. Tommy says, I ain't going anywhere. Nope. I'm done. I'm staying here. You can't make me go. That is adorable. Okay, continuing on. Nigel is back. Uh, the uh, This month, March, the first anniversary of us adopting Sky, as well as her second birthday. Please see attached uh, photos of the day we brought her home uh, a year ago. And so we don't get any Charlie this month, um, just some Sky. Oh, Look at that. Oh man, I love labs. I Why do we not have a Labrador? Because they're bigger. But they're so awesome. They are awesome. My God, look at that. Yes. Look at that. It's not like we don't have chow hounds. We, <laughs> yeah. are, we are pre-chow hounded. Yep. Oh, but I love it. Yep, oh. yep, yep. All good stuff. Priscilla yeah. says, Penny is a Shih Tzu poodle mix and Freddie is a straight up Shih Tzu. Ah. Wow. Yes. Love it. I've never seen a Shih Tzu poodle. That yeah. is a cutie patootie. More poodle though. Yeah, definitely. I mean, got the nose. Yeah. No Shih Tzu nose there. That is a little, um, that's a it's teddy like bear, basically, yeah, disguising themselves as a dog. <laughs> oh, so cute. That is very cute. Oh. And that definitely reminds us of uh, Scuttle. Lucy. Lucy. Remember Lucy? That looks totally like Lucy. Oh, my God. Bill and Karen's dog when we yep. had Scuttle. Wow. We had Scuttle was all black, lots of opso mix, and then we had a friend, uh, friend's dog named Lucy. Would look like quite a lot like that. Yep. Oh, so cute. Yep. And then finally, uh, Ross says, "Here's my cat, Vinny." Oh, <laughs> Vinny, you're awesome. Uh, yep. If we gotta have cat pictures, this is a good cat picture. I gotta say, uh, absolutely adorable. And that I think, yep, that was the end of it, folks. So we're gonna end on Vinny. Uh, I'm gonna give him a little scratch on his tongue. Yep. A a cat that seems to behave more like a dog than a cat <laughs> from this picture, anyway. Oh. And we are out again, folks. Thanks, as always, uh, for listening. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. And once again, we'll see where the future takes us. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye.